Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Roughed Up Podcast. Our previous two episodes you'll never get to hear because we got into a coronavirus uh, deep dive and uh, yeah, maybe when we get out of it we can all look back fondly at how crazy we all went. But in any case, um, today we are going to talk about League of Legends, the only sport, um, as far as I know, that is still still going. Um, the LEC in Europe, LCS in North America, LCK in Korea, LPL in China, they're all still playing games from the comfort of their own homes, which is one of the, the, the beauties of esports is that they can't actually do that. Um, so I figure we get into a little chat. We've been talking about playoffs as they go a little bit here and there, but we just had kind of like, I guess, kind of the the meat of the playoffs start over this last weekend. Um, I guess there were some series before that, but those were kind of uh, stompy. Um, so uh, I guess without further ado, let's just get into it. You want to start with LEC since that happened first? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, you know, what, I, what I've, I've already said is that, like, um, we're so lucky that the one of our hobbies is something that's basically not been altered by shelter in place or anything. It's a it's a blessing because I don't know what I would do because like I literally just sit on my couch for twenty hours a day. Luckily, <laughs> it's, there's uh, new like stuff coming out every day. So yeah, it is one of the few sources of content that is for the most part not ruined by the coronavirus. I feel like there is still plenty of content being created. In fact, in some ways, I'm consuming more of it than ever. Uh, but it's all coronavirus focused. It's all focused on the politics of it or, um, you know, it's just stuff that, you know, when you're already spending so much of your waking hours thinking about this thing that we're all going through, uh, it's, it's not really enjoyable content. So to have one little escape has been, um, has been, has been pretty nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at like similar to like wartime or whatever, like people have diverse like interests and then all of a sudden everyone has to filter all their focus into finding a solution to this one situation and so everything probably yeah 80 percent of everything that i consume is yeah coronavirus or what can you make at home with the stuff you have in your pantry it's like okay (laughs) that's the only thing you can do because you're stuck at home so yeah all right well yeah i guess um we could go into like the opening rounds of the. Yeah, LEC. we we got time. Let's let's go series by series. Um, let's start uh-huh. start LEC. Where uh, so round one three three series for the LEC. They have I actually really I think they have the best playoff format. Um, I, I'm I'm glad LCS has grabbed. Is it the same or is it just similar? I think it's close. It's it's not as uh, compacted, which is interesting because like. So the, the the first series that we'll go over is the the Mad Lions versus G2. Um, so G2 lost in a five game series, very close series, but they don't play again for like two weeks, um, which is kind of I don't know like a blessing because like they're sent down to the bracket, uh, losers bracket, so they have to run the whole gauntlet, um, but they also don't have to show their hands quite as much. Talking about G2, um, or? yeah. Um, they, they, let's talk about the series and then we'll talk about what they have going for what their their road is ahead because sure. that was that was a hell of a series i thought um, yeah for um the the mad lines are practically all rookies um versus like yeah the the kings of europe and it was uh i i felt like uh, g2 is kind of like 
wrongfully playing with their food because like in games that were very close they were still like kind of screwing around i have the drafts open in front of us um i'll just or in front of me um i'll pull it up so you can see it as well maybe i'll just zoom in on one game at a time um yeah so they definitely uh ran some interesting drafts um they so let's see they uh basically traded games traded first two games uh well they went for they went all five and they just basically tossed it back and forth but the syndra bot was a big pick for g2 hang on a second yeah i don't know if we need to go that that deep into okay. like all okay. the theory i think that the the biggest game that i would look at is game five that was the closest one mm-hmm. um and it, it, Mad Lions was were practically winning the whole game. They they were had a significant gold lead, but they are found ways to chip away or like confuse uh, Mad into doing stuff that G two wanted to do. Even though they had the ball, they had everything that they they needed to do. Um, and some miraculous way, G two gets within like one or two hits on the Nexus from winning the series. Um, what, what did you end up seeing any like slow mos of uh, the Ziggs play? Yeah, and and there was a lot of criticism about it because he uh, he bumped himself and kind of cost himself at least one or two autos, and it was twenty HP. So certainly, you know, if he could have replayed it, I'm sure he would have done things a bit differently. Um, but you got to remember, like in the in real time, like you're just frantically mashing keys trying to do as much as you can and avoid people so they don't kill you instantly and um i think a, a couple of people were su- uh, suggesting that maybe you thought the satchel works on the nexus mm. oh interesting yeah and that's why like he didn't reposition himself when he put it down yeah um yeah that i mean again like these are this is supposedly the best team in the league and obviously you don't losing five games to like a inferior opponent isn't good but if you're you're expected to win the whole thing, like you should be able to to run it out. You should be able to beat the rest of the remaining teams. You learn from your losses, and then yeah, what yeah, let's uh, what what's your what are your conclusions from this series, or do you do you think of either team differently? One one of the things that I mean, this is gonna be G two focused. I I I think Mad Lions played well. I I think they were just like a underestimated like you know lion. Like they they weren't really taken seriously. But I I. My opinion is that the perks caps swap has not worked out. I think clearly caps is not as proficient in the ADC role as perks was. Obviously, last year was a lot easier to play mages in Yasuo and stuff like that. Um, but it doesn't. It obviously you cannot see caps his like his fluidness when he's playing Senna or some you know regular ADC. And so, like, Perks has lucked out into the, the two seasons uh, where his role is, is the OP role or could be, like, manipulated to be powerful. Uh, I thought ADC was actually very weak last year. And Caps was one of the few – I mean, uh, Perks was actually one of the players who made it look competent. I think when we talked about, like, some of the, the international tournaments, he seemed to be one of the few ADCs who looked like a, even a whole champion at MSI. Um, whereas it felt like the rest of them, even, you know, the super experienced regular name, like the double lift types, like I thought those guys were like 
75% of, of a champion in, in the meta, which, which was so, uh, like solo lane focused last year. Um, I, I agree. Uh, I think if you compare caps to perks at the end of the year, it's a huge difference. Like perks was, I think one of, if not the best ADs in the world by the end of the year, um, at least as, at a couple of champions, right. He was, uh, like an amazing Zaya player, probably the best Zaya we've ever seen. Um, but at the same time, I think at halfway through the year, if I remember how they performed at MSI, like he was definitely not looked at as an advantage player. Uh, in fact, in most of the matchups with the international teams, uh, like they were, they were seen as the weakness potentially for G2. Um, so I think there's still a chance for Caps. Uh, the meta has really hurt him this year in that the champions not only are they new champions for him they're for for my money bad champions like i think Ophelios and senna um which have been kind of the two core ad's for most of the season with a little bit of ezreal and a little bit of kaisa um are just not are not the type of mechanical champions that uh that perks yeah, had the opportunity to excel on last year. And so Caps is not able to sort of flex his just raw mechanics in the role. Right. It's like he's not able to put himself in a winning position with those two champions. It's not like he's able to create situations on Aphelios or Senna. He kind of has to sit back and watch and then make his move, which is, you know, the bread and butter for double lifts or Uzis and, and great ADCs. And Caps does that, you know, probably – close enough to those guys like obviously not well seasoned and having to wait out a fight and everything but you lose like we this is the 1v1 you know champion uh, and in mechanics and he's stuck on yeah basically things that are not generating you know team winning fight i also have to feel that it's some of it is actually their style and their team Clearly, last year was a perks team, and clearly this year to me is still a perks team. And so, when it comes to those skirmishes, when it comes to the team fights in the later stages of the game, you definitely see the team play around perks and protect him as their number one carry. And it almost there's almost been no change in how they treat player by player, even though the players have switched roles. Um, you know, last year what we saw from from caps was outstanding mid lane performance as, as always, you know, winning one V ones all the time, solo killing people, uh, having pop-offs, having some hint games, but he was definitely uh, like a, I'm going to win this lane or lose this lane by myself. And later in the game, they became definitely by the end of the year, they became a perks team. Um, it's, it's definitely a thing that is caps specialty is that, and, and not to say that it's not, perks in the mid lane either but he wants to get the advantage he wants to push you level three he wants to do something mm -hmm. but in, in 2v2 bot lane that's not the adc's job that's yeah. the support he's yeah. not in charge of deciding what what kind of action is being done and it's just not his play style yeah so i think it's, it's yeah. a combination of all those things but yeah the team is not it well well seasoned i'll say all that all those sort of like flame <laughs> sounds kind of like flame i don't think he's the reason they lost um, no, no, I, th I think it's tough to say, but I, I think there's like a, a, a weird, like bias, obviously I mean, it's, it makes sense. I would say if wonder gets 
underutilized a lot in how they design team comps. And when they, they so like in game five, they went with a Kalista top and it didn't, didn't quite play out as it, as it should because they just aren't used to playing around the top side um, so much. I think also they, so you take Kalista top into Maokai, obviously your, your, your goal there is slam the early game and run away with it. You got to get in. Uh, but but Mad Lions picked an Olaf, and Olaf is is the number one uh, like early game champion. And so even if you draft a winning lane and a hard winning lane like a Kalista, once the Olaf goes up there once, it's kind of GG. And and that's, I mean, really I, the, the takeaway for me if if I were to say like what I thought about these teams coming in versus what I think coming out, I think the the person whose stock rose the most is the jungler for Mad Lions Shadow. He, I thought, really popped off. I mean, he had, obviously, these are going to be good numbers because in, in their wins, but game one, Humanoid, their mid laner goes 06. Shadow goes 7-1-12. Game three in their win, Shadow 507 on Lee Sin. Game five, 16-2-5 on an Olaf, and I've probably never seen a stronger Olaf in my life other than yeah. maybe the double heel Olaf that the LCK, LCK that, that was were running. That was solo Olaf where it was just like, he was all over the place and in, by the time it was like level four or five, he had put Yankos in the dirt. It was like he could not get to places where Olaf was already, you know, putting people down. It was, it was it kind was, of one of those games that it's like unfortunate. And it's kind of impressive that G2 made it that close. Um, oh, they, so they got, totally. Yeah. They got run down. Like that game should have been like a much uh, faster stomp. For Mad Lions. And I think that's for me, if I were to look at the G2 side, I don't really ding them at all. Like they lost the series, but the fact that they could make a game like that, one hit from the Nexus, even just getting an inhibitor, I thought was like, holy shit, this team knows this team knows how to play the game from behind. Um, and to hold it, like you said, hold it that close. They they dragged it to 38 minutes in a, a game that had a 15k gold difference at the end. Like that's that, I mean crazy. All right, so- there's it's part of their DNA because like uh, I was thinking about um, last year's Worlds, maybe yeah it had to have been last year's Worlds where they beat SKT in Game Five, and SKT was winning pretty much. I, I felt like they they had control of that game, and they just started doing frantic stuff that confused SKT, and so SKT started to like kind of not play their game and led to like some bad Baron calls, led to some fights that they they kind of traded with and made the game closer than it should have been. Um, and that's what G2 is, is really great about is that like someone makes a call and no one doubts it. Like they're willing to like put the game on the line. Cause like they, they, it, it was shown in this game. They, they knew that they were losing and they had to do some frantic stuff and they just basically like, Oh, we're going to two man split push. Like this, yeah. is, this is how we, we have to win. Like, Someone has to come and answer, and it's a mistake if someone com- comes and answer. And they did so many times that it, it brought the game relatively closer and literally, yeah, one or two hits on the Nexus that, yeah, like Mad Lions should have just been like, all right, good luck over there. We're just going to run it down mid and, you know, beat these guys that are trying to hold on. Um, they make it like game of chicken where they know that, okay, we might lose this trade if we take this trade right here. But if we all in this trade and you flinch, we'll get more out of it. And so they, they did that playing around the Baron, sending the split pushers and saying, 
okay, if we don't contest the Baron, you're going to get it. But if we actually send two people over here and don't even bother trying to contest it at all, we may get the inhibitor, we may get nexus turrets and find a, a different win condition. Because, and, and I think what I love about that team is they, they're willing to do stuff off the book, right? It's like when you watch my, com my main complaints about NA teams is they, they will just handshake their way into a loss all the way down. They'll just say, okay, uh, I'm not favored to win this fight at the tier two. I'm not favored to defend my inhib turret. I'm not favored to defend my inhib. I'm not favored to contest the Baron. I'm not favored to contest my Nexus turrets. And then all the game is over and no one has even fought and they haven't even, you know, no one's, <laughs> they're still, they're all still alive and the Nexus has fallen. And I think that's what G2 is so, is so good at is they figured out alternate win conditions beyond just finding favorable fights. And that is just fun, is, is super fun to watch. And I think even though they lost this series, I'm not worried about them at all. They fed their asses off in this in game five and still almost won. I mean, Perks won seven. When was the last time you saw Perks go one seven in a game? Uh, I mean, they basically played their worst game and were almost good enough to win still. Uh, despite that and despite taking a draft that like <laughs> I can't imagine running this comp into Olaf like Olaf is hard countering all four of the the damage doing champion dealing champions uh in that like their CC does nothing their damage is not going to beat out an Olaf early game and once he got snowballing it was kind of over sure yeah that was uh I think we did pretty well do you have I mean I I just don't um I am impressed with like the young players in you, like literally, you know, they, they'll send over one of their A-listers over to NA and he'll cash in. And then there's just another guy to come right back up. That's equally as good. And is a household name, like almost immediately. Right. We didn't know four of these players last year and they're now beating G2. Um, yeah. TSM's uh, going to bid on uh, Karzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, only other thing I would say about this series, um, that I, I thought was worth noting is that the, the Mad Lions have, I think, have kind of understood that to beat G2, it's kind of similar to the how to beat IG uh, strategy from last year. It's like, you've got to fight them every time. Because if you concede a skirmish, you're not, even if you don't die in that fight in the mid game or in the early game, you, they, they, G, G2 is forcing some kind of... Uh, is forcing a Sophie's choice of some, of some sort. And so it's like, okay, we're going to meet you in the river. Uh, G2 is ready to fight. It may not be a good fight for you if you're Mad Lions in this series. And, and, and most teams probably just back off. But then what you give up is Scuttle. But then what you give up is Blue Buff. But then what you give up is priority in one of the lanes that you maybe didn't deserve because they just got this free pressure out of scaring right. you. That, um, That's the big that point of, yeah. It oh, creates these the like setup. micro advantages. It's a yeah, sort of the like setup, yeah, the setup gameplay that doesn't exist, uh, you know, with many of the other Western teams that like, you'll see like, oh, three man, uh, you know, diving someone and you'll look at the, the other teams, other side of the map and you'll ask like, what are they doing to get an advantage while they're, you know, stacking this situation? And they're usually like farming wolves. It's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, you just, like, you could have counterpointed with some, some action of your own, but you just don't, you didn't have that in your playbook, which, yeah, exactly. It's like, like, gee, a lot of the Chinese teams, like, we're going to make a play, and because we made the, the decision before you did, 
we're going to have the advantage. Whether yeah. it's actually like a better numbers idea or makes sense in like standard play, but you just have the aggressive advantage. Yeah, their 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 mentality is we will try to force as many games of chicken as possible. And if you just never respond, we always get a micro advantage uh, in pressure in some way that we can then snowball into pressure somewhere else on the map, some other way within one of our champions. And uh, it reminds me of kind of the the way that people, um, one of the things that I think a lot of mid laners looked at Faker for uh, was how he and Bengi not would like out mechanic people, but how Faker would use Bengi as fake pressure. And so he would always play as if he had his jungler near him. and the other laners, the, the, the mid laners who've played thousands and thousands of games against normal mid laners who only play a certain way when their jungler is near them would be terrified of Faker because he always played that way and he always put pressure on. And I think that G2 has sort of taken that to heart for all their, all their players play this way. And they just say, I'm ready with all five of my team members to fight you right now every time they want to start a fight. And for teams to be able to face up to teams like that, they have to sort of answer that call and say, all right, we can't play in this sort of, I'll only fight you when I have a numbers advantage style of way. We've got to play with, well, we've got a little bit of incomplete information and we also have to be ready to send everybody into this. Yep, totally agree. Uh, I think we could probably move on to the next next, uh, next series yeah. if you want. Um, and the next one is... Let's yeah, it should be Fnatic uh, or Origin, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yep, here it is. Okay. Fnatic Origin, four-game series, not as much to talk about here. Uh, I'll, I'll let you start off. Yeah, my, my only takeaway was that uh, I have full faith in Whippo. I think he he has put himself as, like, the, the top top laner for me. Um, he He's so versatile in his not just his champ pool, but the way he plays the game. It's kind of like how Licorice plays. Like, it's like off meta, but with meta picks. Like, he could play, like, Maokai, but then he could build him, like, AP. And, like, oh, shit, we weren't ready for that or something. But, yeah, game one, he plays Zach Toph. And, like, he dominates. Like, no one knew what to do with that. It's just, like, someone wasted a gank going up to try and kill Zach, and that cost custom the game basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then yeah it's, it's such, such a great like yeah Gracchus Zach with a Yasuo mid is like thank you like <laughs> just set me up baby not even not even close uh, not another takeaway was this uh, Reckless played Senna all four games yeah I I don't, I can't imagine, like, literally, like, the names across the board on Fnatic, like, I would take all four of them as my favorite player over Reckless. <laughs> I think what's, what I will credit him with, because I, I also haven't liked what he's, I haven't liked much of what he's done this split, is I think he has, he, he really has gone, he's flipped completely from the, the oh, I, I can't play anything that's not a scaling hard carry AD. And now he's willing to play for the team. I mean, he proved it last year when he was playing a ton of Karma and he was playing Garen, and and now he's on Senna duty. That just feels like um, his style now. I don't. I don't think he's he's played anything that's respectively like a, a carry. I yeah. don't think I've seen him play Aphelios. But who is right? I mean, I don't. Yeah, those. I don't think those champions are. Yeah. Are playable right now. Um, 
I don't know. I, th- I think there's there's definitely champions that can carry. There's I think there if you play at Senna, you're not you're not there to bully lane. You're not to like you know be a factor. You're just the the base stats of the champion like scale well. You're it's another not support like, that happens to do a lot of damage. Yeah, you've you've not imposed your will. It's just the the way the champion works is gonna outscale. It's not really exciting. They really have have. Uh cut the legs out from under this role to the point where it is only a cleanup role for me. Like, I don't see these champions. I don't see any ADs carrying mid game or early game fights almost ever. And it's really just, Oh, well my mid laner and top laner won this fight for me. And now I can kill off their remaining players in the late game. Uh, But it seems very rare where you see someone just hard win the lane and then the game through bot uh through right. through ad sorry not just through bot because i think the bot lane is still very powerful in how much power has gone to the supports but these guys i mean where are the you know i, I mean there are a few guys who are maybe popping off but like the story of the series here wasn't reckless versus upset in in any way in fact i felt like if you flip them it would be fine and nobody would know yeah. the difference um yeah, it was a, a top side difference the only loss was the Nuke Duck 1v9. It's basically... Uh, yeah, the Kiana pop-off. Right. Um, it does feel to me as if the difference here is not just... I think I think Origin is like... This Origin team, and, and I, they've been getting a lot of hype, but I feel like, I don't know what you've been listening to, but like the Alfari best top laner like talk has been big this year. I feel like they are the... They are the like Team Liquid of EU where they play very uncreative stylistically for the most part. They're not so much their champion picks. Like they are willing to play more than the typical NA team, but they play a style that is very by the book. And so if you are a fanatic type team or a G2 type team, that's willing to just fight, fight, fight. This team is not, not a content. I, I'm not, I, I don't think, I think there's a huge gap between uh, G2 Fanatic, maybe even Mad Lions and Origin. Um, I think Origin is not a good – that team doesn't worry me at all. Yeah, I agreed. Um, it's just kind of – they're they're all like the – this is the year of Alfari. It's like Alfari's been in the league for like four years. It's not he, – and he's always been like a top performer. Like sometimes he's in and out of the meta, but like he's – respected player it's not like he came out of nowhere and just became a pop-off god it's like well the meta just fit him and like the team plays around him differently and i don't see anyone really that exciting on their team like every every year i feel like oh this is the year xerxes is going to be the best jungler in the league it's like he's he's on the cusp he's like definitely like middle of the pack top of the pack but like it's not I think he's he's right in the same he's in the top tier and it's hard to separate yourself when your team as a jungler like you basically yeah. you half half to two thirds of the game you have influence you have a lot of influence um, and then the last third of it is kind of up to the rest of the team and you can maybe smite <laughs> smite objectives it's like if I could just like jump in here I fucking hate like the commentary around like smiting. Because it's, like, completely impossible at this point <laughs> to, like, hit smites. 
because like the burst damage coming off like in those split seconds and like you know just frame rate and like your eyes to perceive like things happening it's literally just guessing now you cannot like actually it's more of a team it's a team result well like uh you're right you want to set up barons properly and like if it's jungler versus jungler it's the 50 50 if he gets in there it's literally like if one of them if they're both not cc'd it's the 50 50 yeah but i think that's so to me it's like yeah i would never individually blame a single jungler for lose for losing a sorry okay bud yeah sorry um there's a there was a couple smites uh, the other night. Uh, the TSM game. Who's the TSM jungler? Dardoch. Dardoch missed like literally every smite versus Medios, and it was like, well, those weren't all really well set up. It's just like, well, we have to contest this, and so let's all run at the dragon. And it seems to be quite impossible to do at this point with blast points, and you know the amount of warding that goes on. Um, yeah, it's a team. Yeah, it's was, a team result. If you lose a, a baron or you lose a dragon, it's on your team for not playing it right. You know, the the smite stuff is only one element of right. Did we, of like how it, you're going to secure it? Was that in the TSM series where they they had a Callista and a smite and they missed both? Uh yeah, and I think we'll. I, I'm not sure exactly which one, but we'll get to it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, this series is done with me. I, th- I think yeah they were just like a superior team with like a one fluky game i think uh next game yeah. should be um it'll be the rogue the rogue series yeah again not much to say here i think uh um what's his name hansama a big fan of that guy um but I, th- I think there was like a kind of mismatch kind of a different kind of play style sorry guys Stevie um yeah misfits rogue let's see if i can get the uh here we go four game series three to one rogue um i've definitely always been a big rogue fan all year probably better more than what they've warranted they seem a bit uh they were very like a top top side heavy team with behind Finn, who has been uh, kind of a Whippo type, I would say. Like maybe even more uh, creative in his, his picks, but also a very like feast or famine kind of guy. Um, their jungler seems to be quite good, inspired. Yeah, I think this was just like a collection of mismatch of like EU players that like I respect but like I don't actually think they're quality contenders for titles hmm. the Misfits team definitely seem to be in over their heads here is it the, the end of Febovin or what are we doing there he's still above replacement level I thought he was still he was I thought kind of very good this year I mean if I told you that he was going to get these four teammates and that they would take, uh, you know, that team to the playoffs. That's pretty good. I think I think he has to be a win- one of the winners of the spring split, even though they're they're not going to make it any further than this. Uh, are they out? By the way, is it over? Yeah. Right. What does the bracket look like? Let's see. So they they are done. Yeah. 
and then, uh, okay. Yeah. So now we can talk. Yeah. I don't know if there's too much more to learn there. I, I think Larson is, is really good. Um, I don't know that he's in the, I don't see him as like a, a caps type of player. He's more along the lines of like a steady, always going to do almost, you know, uh, almost like a Bjergsen. Is that fair? Or like, control mage guy. He's not going to feed. He's always going to do damage. Occasionally he will be your number one carry, but if he is your number one carry, you're probably not the best team. Yeah, that's fair. I think uh, it's, it's it's harsh to say like a pole builder type, but like he's like a he's better than pole builder. He, he, no, it's just like the way they play. It's like a it's more like a controlled style more than like a frantic, hard smash you kind of player. Yeah, um, not the assassin kind of guy. Yeah, it's tough to be that anymore. But yeah, he's one of those guys that like at at the end of the game he put in his his work. Um, I think he's good. Um, what's on that team? Uh, Finn, I think, is a guy I've liked. He also he probably would benefit from a little control. I think he's 18 or 19, so he's one of the youngest players in the league. Um, but a guy that feels to me like his ceiling is very high. Um, I've seen him pop off, and he could certainly be like a you know one of the rare top lane carries in the West. Um, certainly, they play that way, and their jungler seems good. So still still a promising team, but probably. Yeah, let's talk about their next game, which is against Origin. And that and that's that's just the next game in the the playoffs. On Friday, um, we talked about how much we hated Origin. <laughs> we talked about how Rogue is uh, has some promising players. What what do you what do you think here? Because to me, this one feels like a um, more of a style test. It's like who who's better, the team that can play by the book really well and play yeah. standard, or the team that has the ability to find some picks and pop off. And maybe that's you know when as as you watch some of these series, like what's fun about the five game uh, best of five is you you sort of the teams have kind of like the comps that they bring to the table. It's like what do you have today? And if you if if what you bring is is you know if Rogue comes out with a cled and hard smashes game one, then it sort of flips on origin. And it's like, you have to be able to answer this for the next two to four games to win this series. Um, and so it feels kind of like that to me is like, if origin can, if origin wins game one, then I think it could very well be an origin stomp. But if rogue wins game one, it could go the other way where it's like, it feels like who, whichever style sort of went, shows that, they, um, you know, they can play it better at this point wins, which sounds a little simplistic, but it does feel like more of that than a sort of skill check. Um, like some of the other series maybe are. Yeah, I, I would definitely heavily favor Origin in this. Um, mainly because, yeah, they're more of like a controlled team. That they, they like the way that they play the game is standard, you know, tanks all over the place. Um, whereas Rogue is more of like a wild card kind of player team. And I think in a five game series, you're more likely to succeed with standard comps and I, I just I think like the results of the season say that Origin are a better team so I, th I think that's just why I would favor them. Yeah, Origin beat Rogue twice this year both games um, some yeah. very very small sample size but uh, yeah and that plus uh, Rogue has been tr 
actually trending quite poorly. Um, it feels like probably, yeah, that's a, a, a safer bet, certainly. And I think they, do we know if they're favored? I, I assume they are. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I don't know. Probably just off of uh, name value, they're probably favored. Yeah, I can pull up the line here. Uh, Rogue had been getting some respect from the betting markets, but. Well, um, yeah, like I, I remember like the, the, the halfway mark, there was like the memes about like Rogue would beat TSM and stuff. Oh, that was that? last year. That was last year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But this year, I think uh, that was is true. <laughs> I, yeah. I did like Rogue better than TSM. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, and I think at the end of last year, I also think it was true, right? TSM, like, did they even make playoffs? No. And yeah, and Rogue was in the playoffs and should have won a series, right? That was the Larson int into the fountain. There's uh, yeah, it, it, it was series. it was definitely a meme, but not shouldn't have been. <laughs> it's like. It was one of the, it's like, if they, they meet in Rift Rivals, like, this is going to be a, another beatdown by EU. Because, like, I think across the board, this split versus NA um, in spring, like, uh, NA casters have been calling it the pool or the, yeah, the, the soup of the bad teams. Or, or not the bad teams, just, like, everyone's 8-8 eight and, eight and hasn't yeah. really shown, like, you know, uh, consistency to, to beat teams, whether they're bad or good. Whereas, like, EU, like, I trust the worst team, maybe not the worst team, but the ninth place team to beat G2 here and there. Or, you know, go, you know, 45 minutes with Fnatic. Whereas, like, yeah, CLG, like, versus Cloud9, it's like, no fucking way. <laughs> There's a gap. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so we're just looking at the lines now. Origin, minus 335 over Rogue. Um, seems right. When, when, when both games have a much more experienced team, um, I don't think this is out of reach. And if you told me that you wanted to take a, sh- a flyer on Rogue and you thought, hey, I think Larson-inspired Finn can pop off and hold down um, Alfari, Nukeduck, and uh, Xerxes, I would – that's that's their way in, right? Is like you get some early kills on – probably on Finn, I think. That's really where they could could find a pressure point. Um, and maybe run like a budget fanatic approach. Uh, but yeah, it feels like origin. And then the winner of that team plays G2. I don't think either of these teams can beat G2. Yeah. Unless, yeah. Unless there's some major draft problems that G2, you know, seems to like zigs in game five, close to top. Um, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't, it's rough to say it's a fluke for mad lion series, but like, it just didn't seem like they were like together, but because like the their game is like a completely it's like a week and a half since they last lost that series, so like they had some good time to figure out what the hell happened there. Um, they seemed yeah, tilted to me. They were definitely screwing around. I don't. I even the games that they were winning, they were like weren't really taking it seriously. Like this really matter or anything. Um, but they do that against. They did that in the world's final, and so you can't really decipher whether that's <laughs> the way they play or whatever. But I don't, yeah, I don't think either of those two teams on paper right now you can be a sane person and say that either team has like a more than a puncher's chance against you. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, then the next match we know about is Mad Lions versus Fnatic. Uh, Mad Lions, uh, pretty big underdog here. Fnatic minus 450. Uh, think if you were to power rank these teams, Fnatic is still number two behind G2 in EU. 
did you see enough from Mad to pick them here? Or is it pretty – I mean, Fnatic is so proven. Their, their whole team has been there. They've done that. Um, they play the aggressive style that um, we've seen sort of be successful in the last year and a half. Feels like they have better players in most roles than Mad. But again, that was what we would have said about um, – G2, so. Yeah, I mean, but we, we could just, like, you know, hypothetically, uh, Ziggs doesn't blast plant, uh, you know, blast plant himself into the fountain and kills himself, and G2 wins that series. Like, Madlands isn't a respected name at all. Hmm. Um, yeah, they took G2 to the, uh, you know, the brink, but they lost a 10K gold lead in game five. And so, like, that, that narrative you could build. And, yeah, I think Fnatic, while very conventional is not someone that I fear not capable to adapting to a game five. They've yeah. In the times that they faced G2 and looked a little squeamish early in the series, they're really capable of just like changing their game style pretty quickly. I mean, reckless is still going to play Senna all five games or whatever, but the rest of the board can really change what they, they have to offer. So how do they win? So how, I think, yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to look at this one. How does, how does Mad Lions win? feels to me like, basically on what we saw in the last game, you need a pop-off, or the last series, a pop-off from Shadow out of the jungle. You know, if you've got a jungler who's putting up five kills, seven kills, 16 kills in a game, that's, that's we were talking about earlier about how, like, ADs are, last year were, like, 75% of a champion. I think junglers are, like, 75% of a champion, unless they can do what he was doing last series. And so if he's able to dominate the early game over uh, self-made, that's one way. And I think the other way, and, and again, I think all these win conditions are reliant on the other roles sort of holding their own and not, and not getting slammed, right, um, is Karzy. So if you think that, that Reckless is on Senna duty and, and Karzy gets, gets in there with a pop-off of Elios game, a pop-off Ezreal game, um, you know, he's, he's got – he's got the ability to carry a game out of that role. Um, and he maybe is the best AD in EU. Yeah, he had a, he had a good series. I think uh, what I would try and shoot for, I, I never like people targeting Whippo because he's just so, he's, yeah, he's a sponge. He's, he, he has gangplank. He has gangplank to fall back on all the time. Yeah, he knows his limits in, in situations. I, I like the idea of trying to tilt Nemesis just like constantly gank him, keep him like low, low resources. Mm. It's always a good idea. Um, and cause I, I think their bot lane can win two V two down there. So like if you keep the attention mid, um, I think there's, there's a good chance that the, the rest of the map can handle itself unless Whipple pops off and then you kind of have to solve that. But it doesn't seem like that's the play style he's going for right now. He's more of like a, kind of like a bruiser late game insurance player with like nemesis more of in the heavy dps role so. nemesis is definitely their shot caller i don't know if you've how much of their comms you've listened to that guy does not stop talking <laughs> yeah i have not heard that but i'm i'm I, he's a very talkative person i've, I've listened to him a couple times uh casting with uh ls and he's he has a very specific opinion about how how the game is played and he he's just like uh he's like medios 
when like if if things turn wrong and the game plan doesn't go his way you can see his like his emotions in his like summoner rift champion he yeah. just starts doing erratic things and uh i think it's it's always especially with like a, a cocky guy he's still young he's definitely had international events where he kind of goes into like like a ghost mode where you don't see him so much but i th- i think it's always a good idea to try and um play mid 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 jungle yeah yeah should be it's, i don't think it's a, a walk series like i think mad lion showed us enough that they could fight for a game or two um which i think that's all you can ask for all right uh still think g2 wins at all um we'll have to see after this that their next series i think fanatic is has a good shot i think fanatic still has they have the morale but if we see g2 pump out a 3-0 a couple three o's is like oh okay never mind what what we just saw two weeks ago was like a fluke mm-hmm. um, feels like g2 has not shown their hand I feel like they always have more that they haven't tried. New comps, new champion picks um, that, you know, we didn't see Perks LeBlanc. That's totally capable of carrying a series, I feel. Uh, There are just a number of these players who we've seen hard carry series on champions that are still meta and were not pulled out against Mad Lions. Um, You saw them certainly focusing a lot of, like, they picked Rumble, they picked... uh, you know, there was a certain class of champions, but there was no there was no rise for either Perks or for Wonder. There's no LeBlanc. There's no you know some of these other champions that these guys are really well known for that are being picked. I think G two can still has those ready to play. You know what champion I think is going to fall away in the playoffs? I think Set's going to disappear. Really? Because like everything he does is like what you ask for, and he's like currently in a good spot. I just think it's very hard to coordinate his initiation um, with a team. It's hard to get flanks in pro play. And it's a champion that can get a marginal advantage, but you you don't really fear like a set split push or anything. He's there to come in and be a beef ball for 5v5. But isn't that, I think that's what's so good about him is that he, he is he has the tankiness of a full tank, but he does damage that a tank shouldn't do. So he can yeah, but go his, in but his CC is not so reliable. The whatever the, the rip back is kind of like I'm sure someone has a defense to that. It's like, oh this guy's walking at me, like let's just fucking like Nautilus hook right at him and we'll blow him up. It's I'm not, not like, sure about that. The the ult is unstoppable. And so, yeah, but it, it goes in the, in the direction that you're walking. So it's not like you can just like walk at them and right. like insect them back to your team. It's like something. Um, that you yeah. You need a flash like... or something to, to make that happen. I think wh- where I've seen the sets be really effective is we will run our top laner at your carry and we'll win the four V four before your carry can finish off set or can, or before your team can kill set. And yeah, I think that's, I, I just think that like there's like there's a tank. There's, there's better tanks. I think there's better tanks than, and his hard CC is not reliable. 
what do you like? Uh, a, what are the better tanks? Because I think I'm not sure I buy that. And and B, I think the other thing that he has I advantage Orn, on Orn is, is I think Orn is like always the better chance. Yeah, I think Orn is yeah Orn is equal tier to me. It's uh, I think where I, I just think that he has much more reliable CC. He can always start a fight from like 2,000 range away. And his ability to upgrade items is like a in a late game guarantee. The other thing is he's he's an amazing. I think the other piece that like we're we're talking very much like in game what he does just like in a vacuum. I think what he does is he creates incredible draft flexibility. So he has multiple multi role possibilities. He can be support. He can be jungle. He can be top. Um, and he has. It's not so much that he shits on the other lanes he does shit on a lot of matchups <laughs> but there are no matchups that fuck him up i mean we saw just in yesterday's series tsm ran pantheon which they were memeing about like wow that's it's dumb pick it's gonna get wrecked by a set and it ends up killing him uh in the first three minutes or whatever and still gets run over and i think that's kind of the strength of set is almost his lack of weaknesses is yeah it, it's definitely like he's he's very viable all the way through the game unless he gets very you know, fuck, I was going to say set behind, but uh, <laughs> he, he's definitely, he's someone that as long as he builds Ned, Ninja Tabbies and his, whatever, he builds Sunfire Cape or whatever, I don't even know. I haven't played the game in like two months, but uh, he's, yeah, he's not, he's definitely a top three, like, bruiser tank um, that can come in. I just don't, think he's had pop-offs in the last couple of weeks um it's an interesting I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we have some more series to get into but it's, it's kind of an interesting uh thought exercise uh because i think he fits similar to what uh the casters yesterday were or the analysts were talking about like the value of bjergsen is not in that is no longer in that he's going to pop off and carry you but is that he's never going to be useless and he's always going to deliver something and set to me feels like that kind of champion where he'll just never there's no matchup you pick yeah so you think about the other top top laners that would have to be that would push him out it's like the orn is not going to win a lane against the set and he'll actually lose the split push against the set the the Callista actually doesn't dominate the set all that hard um gangplank doesn't beat set and you start going down the list of who are the other options and none of them hard win the lane and so you can just have this blind pick top lane or support that you know you can't get counterpicked with and that's what's so valuable about it and why i i would it would probably take another nerf for me to get it out of to get it out of i think i think uh another reason why i mean it's only, it's, it's, like it's only recently that, you know, I just watched the TSM series, but you put Someday on it, it's just like, it's, it doesn't have a lot of, like, uh, agency in my mind. It doesn't, so who, who, who moves ahead of it, or who's ahead of it for you, then? Naokai. <laughs> um, hmm. It's just, it seems like a, yeah, eh, yeah, it's, it, it's not much of an argument. I, I just don't think it's going to be as high priority as it has been. It's basically been pick banned in every, every game. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a draft conversation mostly. All right. Let's look at, uh, at LCS. 
Let's see it. Pull that open. Uh, we've had well, the first series <laughs> is is that even a series? The uh, Hundred Thieves C nine. This this has really been, I think, the worst split of LCS. By the way, having nothing to do with the coronavirus, just the quality of the teams to me feels the worst I've I can remember. I think one of the prevailing problems with this year's split is that Team Liquid was dog shit the whole the whole year, and so that's the the whole narrative. It's like explain why last year's first team All Pro, and you know, has won finals four splits in a row. Why are they ninth place? Like, what happened there? And then everyone in the middle is like so disjointed with how they want to play the game. And the only team that had like a, a mission the whole year slaughtered everyone. They basically won every role and every game. They won every yeah. fight, every, they won every fight all year. <laughs> yeah. And, and it wasn't just like standard comps. It was, you know, champions all over the place that, you know, you don't, you, no one else was playing. It seemed oh. like they were – well, actually, I, I kind of want to kill off Team Liquid before we talk about Cloud9 because they're not in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah. So maybe just to respond to what you're saying, I, I, I kind of think what happened was that they just didn't practice. Uh, and not, like, during the season, but, like, they didn't boot camp. Nobody on their team was – you know, they didn't, they didn't take their team to Korea or Europe and, and, and scrim. Uh, double lift was in China with, uh, with TSM <laughs> and the rest. And then Jensen was with Broxa and EU and, uh, and, and just, you know, imagine another, imagine baseball if you didn't have spring training and if your best hitter said, um, the first half doesn't mean anything to me, so I'm not going to try. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to say. Cause like, I always say these losers are still playing league all the time, so it's not like they, they're completely lost from the game. And Liquid, what did they, they missed playoffs for like a game or two, and they had to play Shurnfire for whatever, three or four weeks. And they probably pick up a, the two wins they needed to be in the playoffs. So, you know, the, the results probably changed a little bit there, but they did look lethargic. They didn't have like um, a team chemistry they they seem to just like Brox is gonna play Lee Sin like we don't that's not really what we need for this comp but like that's what I'm gonna play and then you've got Doublelift like oh first timing a uh, Senna here for the first four weeks of the game of the of the split um, everyone looked bad I think I, their I players felt- yeah I think it's not even so much a team strategy conversation as it is like the players were bad like yeah, this the, is the first the time. Effort- so. In years, we've seen Doublelift not be the best AD, and he wasn't even close. Core uh, JJ, he was he was he was uh, bad too. Yeah, he was inting sometimes, and it's like for every game that I've seen him play in NA, he has looked like the MVP in NA. And as supports, like that's special. And yeah, several games is like wow. Am I watching like Matt play or? <laughs> Old Team Keith, Liquid clips. <laughs> yeah, fucking Keith McBreeze out uh, supporting uh, Core JJ. It's like, okay, that's that's a big bad mark for you. And then, uh, yeah, just like uh, Jensen, it's like 
he has he's like oh he still has great stats and everything it's like yeah i'm pretty sure he can play mid lane against like his opposition in his sleep in na and um, sometimes he is or, in his sleep. yeah he's yeah he did not look like he was trying to get his million dollar deal from team liquid he already has it and he doesn't need to prove it anymore because like who are you going to replace jensen with at this point larson same player yeah. um yeah um i mean we could probably quick hit it do you think they make any moves for the next split no no i think they are have all right or wrong earned another shot at it because they just they it, it is it is we're sort of like flaming a bunch of different narratives that could be why they were bad the one that is sort of i think totally reasonable is just they can go and say well we didn't have practice with this team and we have been months behind the other teams in practice since the very start of it i mean week one with broxa is equal to week seven with Smithy or whatever other jungler and they're facing every week had seven weeks of practice and they had one or two and they're, you know, they're just constantly behind. And I think you get another shot. And, and also who do you replace? Right. Yeah. The, the replacement level at all the, you know, mid season, there's not really going to be options. Unless I think, the, I think up, the only way you to can open that, up the break bank account and you could probably sign anyone for liquid, but I think they built the team that they wanted. And but I don't think anyone good. Like who, who's who's the best player? Who's the, who's the, who are the players that are better than the team Liquid corresponding player that are I, on the market? I, I if this is like uh, think Huni is Steve better ha- than if, if Steve had infinite money, he could have got Jackie Love. I don't think you can throw a double lift out after one split. I think he could if you could get Jackie Love, <laughs> but like it's one of those like, would you rather have a middling tsm with bjergsen as like your franchise like sells t-shirts sells mouse pads and you have the same with double lift and team liquid like this guy is selling hondas and alienware equipment and he's in every commercial i've never seen the other four guys in any of the other commercials he is getting you sponsorship yeah i don't i don't see how you toss double lift also after seeing what happened I, I after just, he got I, tossed like... they're they're at the mid split Someone, maybe not top or like any of the rich Chinese teams, but like if you wanted to give $2 million to some some player in, in Korea, like you could get him. I also feel as if if you run it back with the same roster with a full split, it is totally conceivable that they could win the split and go to Worlds and do well. And it's kind of inconceivable to me that with a full off or like mid-season practice that they would not be a world's team given what I've seen from these other dog shit teams. And I do think if you put a player who cannot speak the language on the team, that it is a potential boom kind of move. Yeah. Do you think Jackie can speak Korean? Not fluently. Yeah, that's quite an experiment. Just have no comms and have like the five best players in the league. And it's and and practically, it's also off the table. You can't. You're not going to get right, someone yeah, here. Like, what's 
what's the visa process now? (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't get Broxley here before the coronavirus. How would it work now to get an Asian player here? That's what I don't understand. I can understand like, oh, we're trying to limit like the number of engineers who are coming in the country. But like you can visually prove that there is no replacement level within this country to be the jungler for Team Liquid. All right, visa stamped. Like there's not, there's no replacement in North America. You think the people yeah. making these decisions are like, have any knowledge of esports beyond the fact that they don't think it should be a sport? <laughs> it's just, it, yeah, the process is probably like so generic that like you can't like walk into whatever department and be like, this is the subcategory of a subcategory, and there is only one more per- one person that can fill this role and our country can't fill it. And it should have been like a one day like situation, but instead it's like, it sits at some, some bureaucrat's desk for six months. And it's like, oh, this looks okay, but we should probably do some investigating. And then it gets two more months and it's like, oh, why wasn't this approved? Oh, okay, it's approved now. It's like, <laughs> so uh, what was, was there any investigation into whether Broxa was a terrorist or anything or? <laughs> Was someone watching NA videos to prove that there wasn't a jungler that could do well? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, uh, Jackie Love could definitely not be a part of a North American team at this point, I don't think. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's go into another series. Or I guess we can start the, the, the Cloud9 100 Thieves. One of the things that they were talking about uh, yesterday was like, oh, 100 Thieves, like, shouldn't feel bad that they got smashed 3-0 it's like that's gonna hurt your mentality like there's no like obviously you're like oh well TSM's not the cloud nine and we could probably play with these guys but it's like how can you like have your like masculinity like totally dominated and be like oh yeah I'm still good at this game no one is gonna feel better coming out of getting us getting swept that's for sure you don't come out of that with more confidence yeah because like uh, I guess like what they were saying was that like they probably held some of their strategies because they knew they were just going to get murdered <laughs> by nine. By the way, how ridiculous! No, yeah, you try to win every fucking game. Yeah, you, how ridiculous! What a what a a non athlete thing to say, like non competitor thing to say of like, oh, we're just going to pocket some of our best strategies against this team, and we're going to lose this game because we're not going to do that, and we're going to somehow try to go through the losers bracket and win with our superior hidden strategy and then beat this team at the end of the road? I don't think so. No way. Yeah. Um, this is going to go faster than EU because all these teams suck. Uh, that series was pathetic from 100 Thieves. They looked feeble. It looked to me like they were the 100 Thieves team from last year. <laughs> like They were awful in that series. Yeah, we were all. Not much, uh, not much to say there. I'll, I'll pull the scoreboards. Uh, what uh, interesting? Where are the? Oh, they haven't filled out the. I can do it here. So I guess, I guess, yeah. There was Evil Genius FlyQuest that went three one. Uh, it does look as though Evil Geniuses have like a little more uniqueness to them. They can play different comps, whereas FlyQuest seems like straightforward, like how they're going to play the game. Uh, Santorin is basically the same jungler every game. 
And if he gets behind, he's fucking useless. Do you like these teams? I think these teams are real bad. Oh, they're bad. Yeah, like we made Jizuke like look good. And I thought he was like out of the game. He was run out of Europe, yeah. <laughs> and uh, who else do they have? Kumo, not a big fan. I still like Sinsgaren. Uh Bang is a joke. Bang, I, think bang, bang. I think Bang has been good. <laughs> well, all right. Well, relative to ADCs, like, yes, he's still the best ADC, but that's a worthless role. And Zazel, uh, he's like a top half. Support, he's a league average type guy. Like, but yeah, he's he's not like a a one v nine core JJ kind of guy. Um, and no, I don't think they can beat Cloud Nine. It's a smoke and mirrors team for me. It's like Tezuke, Svenskeren, and Bang are uh, have found a few things that can work if they focus their game around them. Like Tezuke sort of doing weird split pushes and like finding random picks. Like it's only entertaining, player- but that's not a sustainable strategy against a good team. The only player I respect uh, of those two teams is a uh, power reveal. He's he is literally like one v nineing on the teams that he's been on. Yeah, yeah. He he's he is uh, probably uh, how many of these players? Let's so if we're just looking at the EG series. How many of these players are good enough? If you swap them onto C nine, would would not make C nine. Just much worse. Senskaren is good enough. I think Bang is probably good enough. And Poe, and that's it. And that's it. The rest of these guys are would yeah. would be huge, huge downgrades from the top tier um, players in the league. And if those are your, I mean, Evil Geniuses are in the two spot right now. Like <laughs> that's not uh, a yeah. Not the great. top side is gross. You got Solo, Viper, and Kumo. Those are not. Those I mean, are, there's quite literally players that are replacement level. They're being replaced by each other, like regularly. <laughs> they can't, uh, they can't figure out which one of those two they want to start. And Kumo is like a man. He is the, um, who's the, um, who's your favorite guy that uh, the old Broncos backup quarterback that got fifty million? Oh, Brock Osweiler. Osweiler. He's like an Osweiler. Like played three weeks last year and looked okay on a boosted or a team that was boosting him. And so he got a starting job, but like that guy has not looked capable to me. Yeah. He's a smoke and mirrors guy. Cause he, I, he was like first pick at scouting grounds like two years ago and he was hidden in an academy smurfing. And then Jack sold him off for like all that he could get. And then we find out like, Oh no, he was like, yeah, he was supported by the four other like actual LCS. I don't even think it was a mystery. Like if you watched him play last year on cloud nine, the games that where licorice was hurt, he was playing Jace and losing lane. And it's like, Jace is the OP laner in this game, not just in top lane, and wins every matchup when it comes to just the lane phase. And he was losing those, and they were winning games. And so it's like, oh, well, he's getting some kills here at the end because his team is way ahead. But that guy never looked to me like, oh, this guy could replace Licorice. Like, no way. Like, he was definitely, like, still a lot of questions to be answered. It was a great, like uh team awesome style uh trade to just throw all three of them into one bundle and say like take take this package like take the Sven Skarin package and we'll throw in these two like seemingly starter level players oh yeah yeah they got, the they got synergy and then like they go on <laughs> Sven Skarin's like oh I've never played with that guy <laughs> yeah. here's the full raid and it's like yeah. <laughs> 
Wait that guy second, was on the B team the whole time. I've yeah. never actually screwed with him. Did you did you hear the there was like a list, I guess, that Sinskarin gave Jack? Did you follow this at all? Oh no, it, it rings a bell, but yeah, tell it. Yeah, so he uh I I need to find it. yeah. So he he apparently gave a lift a, a list to Jack on C9 and said, I'll stay here if you get these players for me. If you get uh like some of these players. And so yeah. the players were Chovy, Ruler, Deft, Showmaker, Nuggery, Impact, Doublelift, Someday, Core JJ, and Mata. And <laughs> <laughs> what a great he negotiated himself into like a million dollar deal. He's a genius. Uh, well, and I think the funniest thing about this is he was packaged with Zazel and he's saying, I want a different support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, yeah, so, but I mean, is, is he wrong though? Like, yes, he should. Like, I would like to have Toby instead of Zazel as my option. <laughs> But I just no. I mean, literally the supports. He's like, I'd rather have Mata, who's retiring, <laughs> than this Zazel guy that I had to play with last year. It seems like yeah, he he put out a preposterous list so that he would get traded. It's uh yeah, it's funny that he ends up with Zazel, and then he's still willing to reveal this list and say like, I wanted a different, I demanded a different support because I didn't like Zazel, and I got packaged with Zazel and shipped out to this other team. That actually, you know, it's really funny. I, I have been flaming this team for those decisions. They're in the two seat. Like, Second place, baby. They're right there, ready to, and they're facing C9 for a chance to go to the finals. So if you are willing to just be results-oriented, it has worked. But it is... Uh, it's a suspicious road. I mean, just the Jazuke uh, stuff, it's like out of the woodwork. It's like... Too, too, too on the nose. Like he, the first couple of weeks he was looked terrible. as though he he was ready to retire forever. He had like, some really he, bad games. Yeah, he was like, "This is not how I like playing league." Yeah, he he came out with quotes saying that like the players in this region are very bad and do not know how to play the game. Well, he's a he's and a one three one player, and no one here plays one three one, or no one play, here plays side lanes. So. Yeah. The teammates yeah. were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Bang literally said, uh, I can't control my teammates about <laughs> like, this team. So it's, I mean, yeah. that has to be a, a dig at Jizuke, right? It's like this guy is wandering off on the block into the jungle every 10 seconds, like to try and like gank the other jungler. But it, uh, it feels to me like this is a team that had four coin flips all come up heads. Kumo, Jizuke, Bang, Zazel, all guys that like if I told you if if I week one, if I said, Hey, uh these four guys are all gonna be out of the league by the end of the year, you would probably understand, like, oh yeah, I could see how Kumo could be kicked or how Jizuke could fail. Um, but they've all turned out to be fine. So yeah, far. it it definitely it seemed like because it was such a frantic off season that it felt like just like a, a hot pot of players like oh i've heard of that guy i've heard of that guy oh that's a team but like none of their names or you know none of their play styles really like fit on paper and so nobody here yeah, to get excited about yeah someone some for them to follow in second place was like well that just seems like how this season went i felt like the, the tsm 130s like those are teams that were just kind of like falling upwards and not really proving themselves to be good. 
and and we should also say that sure they were second place it was a three-way tie and they were also like a game or two being out of the playoffs so definitely not like they're sitting here at 16 and two uh you know a strong second place uh they're they're very much in that uh you know i guess it's like a it's kind of just a mush of eight teams right that are all basically the same uh with a couple bad coin flips going the ways of team liquid and immortals (laughs) well coin flips are throws dude there's so there's so many teams and a couple of teams like we talked about liquid there's imt and dig that are also just like a collection of names that they could have been in the playoffs two weeks ago. Yeah, and it could still be, if, if I paused this two weeks ago and I told you that these three teams that you just said were two, three, four, that's yeah. believable. Yeah, I d- and so like uh, I was going to move on to another series that we can go quickly on, but like Golden Guardians, yep. the, the whole <laughs> like last two weeks, they were like, how dare you say we we're a 10th place team? It's like I would put large money on that they come in ninth or 10th last next split yeah they definitely still would power rank at the bottom yeah i don't know what uh no nah, that's too, we could do that in off season or something but clg is trash i don't know what they're doing um but yeah flight basically ran down golden guardians they didn't look good in any single one of the games skill check failed game, strategy check failed macro check failed everything <laughs> failed yeah and it's like basically do you go to the drawing board and who do you replace and it doesn't seem like a team that actually really cares about winning. And so they're probably just going to keep these five. Oh, know. they're happy with what they got. I think they oh, got yeah. probably the most value for their money. Hell um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they'll stick around for sure. That was a patsy, they, was a patsy for this tournament, to, for them to be in it. Uh, happy okay. to be here. Classic happy to be here team. Happy to – yeah, they got smoked. Um <laughs> And so, yeah, we, we moved to the, the grand finale. This, this was so West throughout the entire entirety of this split and for years, just been ragging on NA and being unwatchable. <laughs> and I have, <laughs> I have counterpointed that it is the most watchable, not because of the skill and the, the, the macro decision making, but the pure, like, childish nature in which these guys play video games is so much fun to watch so game one we've got standard comps across the board tsm rolls out a 32 uh, minute game 100 thieves looks bad has a couple misjointed plays at the beginning of the game sets them back they lose handily game two they Basically, they run out same pick and ban, and the entire analysis crew is just like, all right, this is either Tilt or Genius, and Ziggs apparently had done it before at MSI, and I remember this because it was the only comp that CLG was capable of playing at that tournament, and so it's like, well, we can't like pivot at this point, so we're just going to run it again. And so 100 Thieves runs out the same comp. They don't fuck up top lane and someday is, is a, a beast. And the, what I didn't like about the analysis about this game is that Ryoma got fed as fuck. And it wasn't really his doing. It was TSM like throwing themselves uh, at him. And it, it's similar to game one. Uh, Bjergsen's Corky was 5-0. and oh. He had like 200 damage per minute. He was not fucking the reason why they won that game. They 
they yeah, Hundred Thieves through Game One. I thought was, he was he did what he was supposed to do as a mid laner. Um, Kumo or Bjergsen? Ryoma. Yeah, no, I mean he was control mage and he got fed. <laughs> it's like I'm not saying that it, it it wasn't. I was gonna say I think Medios, com- I think Medios I think, won this game. I think Medios hard carried this game. I think it was proof that the comp was not the problem. Is that they 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 made choices that screwed them in the long run. Medios okay. 0014 on Jarvan, which is exactly what you want from. And this is a great comp. I, I love this the way this comp is put together. You have yeah. Jarvan, Nautilus, Horn, all capable of taking the ball and 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 creating a huge shockwave. And uh, and it was fun. It was actually it was you were saying it was fun. It was fun watching this. Like I haven't seen a straight Oriana comp played like this. Probably the only other time I can think of is like any of the faker uh, Oriana like pop offs are the memorable ones but like th- this game was just it was a shockwave game it's like we're gonna run around with the ball all five of us and we're gonna look for you to group up somewhere yeah and, and you have a Varus and a yeah, Tom Kench who are gonna get hit by this every single time yeah TSM can't fucking face face run run into you and so you take all the objectives as long as, as long as you're not behind though like they were in game one they they had the better comp it it was you you're gonna sustain the corky poke you have so uh, what are they? Yeah, Jarvan, not Orn. Yeah, what a Bjergsen so- pick, though, by the way. Corky. Yeah, I, I was uh, going to text you, like... Um, Fucking KDA like, champion. Yeah, Bjergsen is such a sissy. But, uh, <laughs> and, again, I don't... It's like, it's, it's after, after the fact results that Bjergsen clutched out the series. But Zoe's broken. And... They gave it to him, and they shouldn't have. Yeah, let's um, let's get ahead in games. So, yeah, what? All right, game three was the yeah, Cody Sun sorry. pop off. So this this was uh, an interesting one by Dardock. Uh, he he was inting at the end of that game. It uh, where where he got killed twice at Wolves. Did he? Yeah, he he, he did some really. He died really awfully. There was also the time where he like broken blade tried to ult in and start the fight with his pantheon engage, and then Dardoch ran in anyways and just insta died. Oh yes, that was great. It's like, oh yeah, you see where pantheon is landing, and the entire team is not going to be bothered by this. And he pops Ragnarok and starts running in. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Like, no one can catch you. Like, maybe pantheon can get you, but the rest of the team is like totally run off and he just dies immediately loses the fight isn't it though uh i think it's a bad i think this is a draft loss because this champion unless you have the 16 kill (laughs) fucking uh uh, was it uh inspired no um shadow performance on uh on mad lions like unless you get this champion crazy crazy ahead you cannot, it, it is not going to do anything late in the game. You cannot get to carries. You cannot go through Nautilus and Gragas and Set to get to the Cody Sun uh, misfortune. It's just not possible. Like, you, you just take too much damage. And, um, and that's what we saw, right? He was 4 0 on the Olaf. And then once, the, once Cody, who was deathless, had two, three items. You could just like he could one on he could one v one him like you could just run at him and if you press R as Olaf 
you will die because you you when you press R, you lose all your armor, and then Cody like three taps you, and uh, and that's that's basically what happened. It was like their comp was built to win a game and snowball it in twenty five minutes, and they are a team that sucks at closing out games, and they <laughs> and they couldn't do it, and they and that's uh, yeah he got killed a couple times really in a stupid way. Uh, I thought all their <laughs> The uh, Bjergsen had got killed like three times in really awful oh, ways too. It, it was the classic Bjergsen like side laning for the entirety of this and the whole series. It's like, oh, where's Bjergsen? Oh, he's at zero top, and there's a four v five going bot. It's like, all right, <laughs> I, I with this draft specifically, it's not a mentality that TSM and probably it's all Bjergsen's fault. They can't run this. This is too imaginary, uh, too imaginative. Because you, you, I like Tark, Callista, uh, and a Pantheon dive, you should just be running that nonstop. And the one time they did it, no one committed except for Broken Blade, and he dove second tier by himself as Pantheon <laughs> and totally wit- lost his, in to- his, uh, his complete advantage against that. Right, right. And the game was basically fucked by then because yeah, you have to run down with that snowball. And people like Biofrost are too timid to just like, oh, we're fucking diving and going all in on this. Unless Doublelift tells me to do it, I'm not doing that. The other and, thing here is, I think, and it, this is like a, it's a nitpick because it's not really something you can do in the game reliably, is the early kills all went to Dardock. And that's great in uh in in that like oh well now he has lots of gold he's Olaf he can snowball but it is really kind of shitty when you are playing Callista an early game champion Pantheon an early game champion uh and you're not getting the kills from these plays because then you can't snowball that lane without the Olaf coming to you and you know Olaf gets hard outscaled by every champion in this game uh, and they, yeah, the four kills, you go from 4-0 to 4-5. That, that is the story right there. It's like your first four kills were wasted on a champion that can't make use of them past 20 minutes. Yeah, not, not to fully dog on Bjergsen. He had some sick insect in Azir ult. Um, it, it just, like, it wasn't a great comp. And he wasn't there. Olaf, it, it's, it's a classic, like, uh, oh, I, said, I'm not even going to get any damage done in this fight. I'll show up at the last second, and then I'll get picked off. It's like, what are you doing? Agreed. Uh, and then, and then, it sucks to uh, see this, but and it's strange uh, that it happened. But yeah, you get back-to-back Zoe games, and it just seems to hard counter that team. <laughs> like they they ran their Oriana comp basically, right? And so they've got a Sejuani in the place of the J four. They've got an Aatrox in the place of the Orn. But the, this this comp, when you are just always afraid of a Zoe bubble in both games really was just hard hard for them to get the type of team fight wins that were conclusive like aces like oh we wiped you now we're gonna get everything it's like they would get a couple or two or three or four even uh but then all of a sudden you've get you get bjergsen coming in from the side or somebody gets a couple back and they can't finish off um what they you know they can't finish off four is a stomp that, that i don't know there's much to talk about there they got absolutely blasted. Five was that. I think I'm talking more about that, right? Is like they hundred thieves had this game wrapped up basically at 20 minutes 
and they ran it down. They they had the uh, was it Cloudfill? They were gonna have Cloudfill unless Bjergsen one shot Cody Sun. That was one of the worst. That was like the careless. That was bad. He's played for four years in the LCS. Don't stand there. Yeah, it's a careless. He doesn't. Yeah, like you should be as far away from blinded areas as you. Yeah, they had the Sejuani's. Like, stand behind that guy. I, I think at the, I, I, to to sort of defend him a little bit. No, yeah, it, like, it is it, definitely a mistake. But when you are winning by that much, and when you personally are fed by that much, you do have a level of sort of like come at me <laughs> that uh, is maybe and, a little bit. No, yeah, I don't blame Cody. Fucking Zoe is broken. Like that was like completely out of nowhere. Like. I, I think Bjergsen flashes for it. So he gets the extended range on the uh, the Q damage. And yeah, I don't blame him for that. There was a couple other points where they they had the full advantage of, of the game. And um, one of the other points about what I didn't like, I mean, I, I like the team comps. I mean, it was basically the same team comp all five games for 100 Thieves. And all five games had stunt on Nautilus, and he was the initiator, which stunt is the least veteran player on any of the teams. And so you're putting him in like a really tough situation to be the one to make the right engages. And he's been around for a long time. Now, I'm not saying that he's you know a, a rookie or anything. He's been on academy teams for a million years. Um, this is the first time he's been like an LCS starter for the whole split. Yeah, yeah. Um, he sucked. But it, I'll say that he was, he was bad. He was, he was on like a Nautilus, so like <sighs> even your mistakes are forgiven. Um, but like, yeah, all all your decision making is put into like your fifth worst player. He was hooking anything that came within hook yeah, range. Everyone. There were multiple hooks that he missed where the casters were like, "Oh, he's lucky he missed that." Yeah. But that, that was their team comp. It's like they had, yeah, Sejuani, Nautilus. Uh, did Medi- yeah, Medios went uh, Sejuani back-to-back games, which didn't pay off. I mean, I guess it did. They, I, I they think killed. he was good, yeah. I think they, yeah, they should have won game five. They threw, they threw the game hard. The Dragon, yeah. but also the inability to close out off their they – they got both Barons, right? They definitely had one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Had, sorry, sorry. Yeah, just just one, but they. There was no. There was nothing that TSM should have done. Oh shit! Uh, can you hear me? Yeah. What happened? Headphones died. Can you hear me? Sort of. It, it's obviously not as good. Did your headphones die? Yeah. Uh, is that better? Or? It's still quiet. Can you put it closer? Your... Oh, boy. Technical difficulties. It, it's not inaudible. I mean, I can hear you. It's, oh, you can't hear me? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can adjust my sound. 
I can hear you fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, and we're we're basically done here. But yeah, I think uh, I mean they they lost with a gold lead, so it kind of tells you all you need to know about like you basically when you have a giant gold lead like they had and a comp that has outscaled your opponents and you lose, you threw. And 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 you know to TSM's credit, they did the right things, right? So broken blade with the monster barrel chains, uh, like that basically won them one of the most important fights of the game. And then the last rush of the Nexus to the end, Bjergsen makes the play you need to and to continue autoing the Nexus, makes the play that uh, the Caps couldn't make um, to get their last auto in. And, did you watch uh, and he did the job. during that fight? He basically just like stands in MF holes the entire time. He's not <laughs> autoing anything. He's just like, oh, I'm dead. Like <laughs> He doesn't like try and juke or like, he doesn't have flash up or anything or his ult, but he's not autoing the Nexus. He's not doing anything he's just like standing in in what was obviously gonna be an mf ult like they're trying to get the last hit on the turret which was gonna go down but he's in like a perfect range for mf to just blow him up and it what like so they, they were trying to figure out whether that would have been like a total turnaround like uh 100 threes would have just ran down down mid lane and won the game but uh what's his face Broken Blade was still up, and he had um, he had his ult and everything. So they wouldn't have won, but they would have gotten Baron and then ended the game. I think they would have won. Whether they would have run it down and won or had to get Baron and then win. Right. I mean, like 5v4, 5v1 is GG. Yeah. It was a, well, they wouldn't have had any minion waves. Um, but at that point, they had three, like, monster tanks and probably... Yeah, it's 40-plus minutes in the game. You can tank everything yeah. with Sejuani there. Um, oh, and an 8-kill, eight 8-kill, eight 13 assist misfortune is going to end the game in, like, five autos. What uh, has to be said is that Dardoch played terribly. And I always think he gets out-jungled by Meteos every time. And in this game, he got out-jungled super bad. But... He made like the hero like I'm gonna die in every fucking fight here. And there were like several times where he got massive stone plates off and he like survived for longer than he should have. And like that was his job in that game and he did it like miraculously. They just weren't able to like finish him off a couple times. But yeah, he got some big Jarvan ults. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, well, this is the only way we're like starting fights that we need. It's interesting because he it feels like um, yeah, like he, he does get dominated by Meteos and not just the series, but like even when they were on the same team, like on Optic, I remember it was the first time I ever heard Dardox say another jungler was better than him. Uh, he talked about how in like scrims, like he would just, like uh, Meteos would read him like a book. Um, but it's, it's interesting the way you explained it. It's, it's almost like it brings out the best of him because then he plays, um, he like sort of puts the shackles on and is willing to be a little bit more humble in his approach to the game because he respects Medios uh, versus some of the other sort of like, I'm going to just hard carry this game type approaches he's brought before. Yeah. Yeah. When he sees Wiggly, it's like, Oh, this is, this is my <laughs> Olaf game. And then he runs Olaf against Medios. It's like, he gets ahead and it's like, ah, fuck. Couldn't, couldn't do it. I, he didn't, he didn't have the mental strength to beat media. And yet his team was able to do it. I yeah, felt yeah. a little bit bad for Medios that they lost because he was good. Ryama was good enough. Cody, I think Cody is 
you know, I, I was saying Bang is the best AD, was the best AD this split. I think Cody might be the best AD in the league. Yeah, I, I, I really wasn't a big fan of everyone on C9 winning. It's hard to say because, like, they all have great numbers and, like, they won all the games and all had the most damage. But, like, Ben wasn't winning games. Is it hard to be the ADC on Cloud9 this year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't like, oh, this is, this is Ben 1v9ing. Um, whereas, yeah, like, I felt like Cody is always like, well, we fell behind. Cody could win. Yeah. He could win the game. And it's, and, yeah, he played well in the series. He, he kind of fucked up a couple times, but he was like constantly putting out like big damage. He was a factor. And, and I think that it's interesting because Kabe was the guy coming in this year that like his whole game on Splice had been late game he'll be there to potentially carry your games. I have not been impressed at all by that. He game. was rags this series. He was, without uh, Biofrost on Tom Kench duty the entire series, he was, he was so out of position so many times, it was like insane. No, he's Biofrost, not. I, I hate the lack of um, like coverage for Biofrost. I thought he was like the second best support in the league. Because he was, he was the only one doing proactive stuff on the team for like I would say three fourths of the year. He's got too much of the supporting player yeah, complimentary guy he's brand in his name. Guy. Yeah, so like no one believes that he actually hard carried. But like he literally like every game that they won was because he saved someone's ass for Tom Kench. And it's not like flashy <laughs> or anything, but like you don't get credit he, for Tom Kench games in this. Yeah, game. he he knew what he had to do, and he did it like super well. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I um, don't. I don't. I I think TSM has the high highs more than Evil Genius or FlyQuest, but I don't think either of those three teams are gonna take one game off Cloud Nine. Even though TSM has taken a game off Cloud Nine, huh? I think they put it up, took it off the pedal. That that was week eight. Like no. I, I don't think they were really taking that. Too so, yeah, I agree. Cloud Nine isn't going to run away with this, and certainly not Evil Geniuses. The the one uh, thing I think will be interesting is TSM FlyQuest because you've got TSM, obviously historical franchise, blah blah blah, and you've got the Bjergs encounter Power of Evil. Who's as hot as he's probably ever been? Who do you like in this series? It's it's an easy narrative because yeah, a power eagle never back down on Bjergsen, and he's throughout this playoff has picked the LeBlanc and has one v nine, whereas Bjergsen has played the 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 control guy, and yeah, we'll see if, if the the pussy play of Bjergsen costs them. I don't really think that's going to be the biggest factor. I think the surrounding parts for TSM are better. I think it's a top question. Is is Solo versus Broken Blade a big mismatch? I assume Viper is done, right? I could see him coming in like game three if they're down 0-2. Okay, so yeah. So he's 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 not you're he's not like handicapping the series based on him being in it. I think it's does Broken Blade slam uh, solo, if so, this isn't much of a series. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Santorin is like, he's never going to end. He's never going to hard carry. 
definitely yeah. feels like you'll need a power of evil outplaying Bjergsen and Broken Blade. The top mid matchups, very, uh, very volatile. Uh, well, not volatile, but like impactful. I, I have so much faith. I have faith in Solo. He, he's, he, I, I can't imagine. He must be a terrible person in real life. <laughs> like, he's, he is above replacement level. Um, he's he's like, Hanser, at yeah, least. He's Hanser. He's yeah. a Hanser. He has a pretty weak champ pool, but he never loses. And he can. He he's can got the Blippo of- attitude. The what? What about it? I said he's got the Whippo attitude. Like he he's the guy that like he's losing the one v one all in, but he's he's not backing down ever. And you're like watching him, and you're like, wait, why isn't he running? And it's like, oh, this guy has confidence in himself that goes beyond maybe what this situation warrants. But at least he's he's not going to be scared. Agreed. Um, yeah, I, I think that it, it should be, you know, yeah, it's relative, it's NA, it's bad. It should be a close series, I think. Do you give uh, Quest any boost for the fact that this is now their third best of five in this meta? Yeah, I, I, I would prefer FlyQuest. So I think that you could probably get a good number on it. It's not open yet, but that is also what I'm thinking is like, I think there's a real a real benefit to be to playing a lot of best of fives, right? I mean, we see it every year in LCK, the, the teams that are the one seed and have the straight pass to the finals struggle because they are sitting around um, and the other teams are figuring out the meta as they go, right? They're figuring out what they can play um, champion wise and they can figure out stylistically what is most effective while the other teams like the Griffin last year and um, some of the SKT teams the year before the rocks teams um, struggled. Yeah, we'll see. You know, I'm going to be there watching 30-minute pregame analysis, 20-minute commercials between games. I'm addicted. I have, uh, there's there's not much left to be addicted to, so you might as well. <laughs> yeah, really kind of came into a perfect time. They were running playoff games at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> On a Tuesday and Wednesday, it's like, all right, well, I'm not doing anything. Like. Just, uh, it's a shame uh, that the rest of the world is burning down. But for me, nothing has changed. I was going to be on my couch anyway. It's an upgrade for you. You've got uh, more content, uh, more conveniently available to you, and more time to consume it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Not being able to go outside is so great. Um, uh, are you uh, surviving cabin fever or doing anything to uh, keep your mind going? Um, it's been a roller coaster. If I'm, yeah, I think, uh, as you know, I got very into the news and the political elements and the, um, the, just how it's being handled by the country early on, which was certainly quite stressful. Um, work has actually been, um, a really welcome, uh, our company has handled this so well, um, just in, in from, uh, you know, sending us home uh, very early uh, compared to many of the other companies and, and states out there um, to just how we are strategically thinking about running the company in this sort of new, new reality. Um, 
that said, I feel like I'm working more than ever since uh, I just, I have no commute anymore. Uh, there's, it's, there's not really a separation in, uh, in, uh, in my day. Um, so that's, that's taken some adjustment. Um, the, the dog stuff has been hard, uh, really like that, the, just getting, um, just getting Stevie what he needs or, you know, getting him checked out and, and going through all this stuff is, it's not fun stuff normally. And, and it's even harder when you are also fearing for your own safety when you're going out and having to put on gloves and a mask. Um, and it just, and it just feels, it, I mean, I don't know how much you've gone outside at all, but if you're going for walks or anything, like it just feels, you really, you're not. <laughs> uh, I've, I've taken the garbage out three times in the last three weeks and I've, I've gone up to the top of the lock and like looked all the way down to Fisherman's Wharf and there's zero cars. Yeah. I don't know if it's similar in every city, but there's no one like going for jogs in my neighborhood. There's no <laughs> one like, yeah, my, my street is usually super busy. I can hear pedestrians from like 6 a.m. to like 9 p.m. You know, once every two minutes, I'll hear a conversation going outside my window. It's been dead quiet for the last three weeks. So I don't know if that's what everyone else is experiencing. It's obvious. It's like, it's not like an airborne, like, illness that like is over the city but i i think specifically in the city people are like taking the do not go outside very seriously i think you're also in a part of the city that is particularly yeah chinatown is in a very older uh yeah. a place where typically a lot of the people there are there for work um and all those people are not coming down anymore and uh and then unfortunately there's the <laughs> the racist element of it which uh, <laughs> when we talked about it, it's like, yeah, it's been a, a strange, that's been another strange thing too, is like, you know, I'm not personally like too fearful for my safety when I go out, but you know, I never thought twice going to Target uh, before. And now I do have to think about that because at our Target, uh, some guy got uh, attacked and it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's just on your mind. And so, you know, whether it's, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like a lot of this is just on your mind. It's it's not that we've had anything happen, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like I'm kind of I've mostly told Olivia like don't go, don't go out without me, right? It's like you just you don't know what's going to happen out there these days. Um, there's it's it's not a uh, there's just a lot of uncertainty and and so it's it's not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not breaking any news, but it's not great. <laughs> um, yeah, far, yeah, it's yeah. And not getting a whole lot of sleep, not sleeping too well. It's, it's, it's a weird situation. Yeah, for sure. Not having a commute definitely changes the way I operate. Like I'm supposed to be at the office at 8 a.m. So I've been waking up at 7.59 and opening up my computer. And that's like definitely not what you should be doing to get prepared for work. And then, yeah, when I am supposed to close out for the day, like my laptop is still two feet from me. So like, I'm not disconnected from work mentally, like I usually am able to do. Um, but that's, yeah, it's like such like small, like small first, first world problem thing to have, but everyone has, it's just like when people are like flaming celebrities for complaining about their problems. It's like, yeah, like for you, yeah, it would be nice to have a fucking mansion and a pool and like, you know, sh but like, your life changed drastically for the worst 
Rel- relatively. Yeah, everyone, everyone is worse off than they were yeah. a few months ago. And whether you were yeah, living in a $100 million house or a no house, uh, your life has gotten worse. And so everyone is feeling that. And I think, yeah, it's hard to, you know, it's like you, yeah, you're talking about like, oh, I've, maybe I'm not bringing my best to work every day, but it's like, I don't think anyone is bringing their best to work. And I don't, I wouldn't trust anyone who was because it's, it's, we're in a situation that is, all these things are on our mind and we are, we, you and I are knowledge workers. We work not based on how strong we are or how physically uh, hard we work. Uh, you know, at some level, there's, it actually is hard on my body to sit in this chair for 10 hours a day. Um, yeah, I mean, my back is fucking roasting. Like, yeah, I've, 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 that's the one thing that I've been like getting better at is I'm ex- or, like not exercising, but um stretching stretching yeah i was gonna say that it's like my neck has never been this bad other than when i had that like snowboarding accident a few years ago Mm. uh where like i get off these calls now because i just i'm looking at the same part of my monitor for every call sometimes i move it a little because like i'm like i can't keep at this angle but uh yeah it's uh but to me it is i mean the physical stuff is one thing It, it is it's just the mental weight of always having of knowing that almost no matter what you do uh, I'm I'm I've definitely fallen into pits of despair where I'm like almost no matter what I do today I'm gonna go to bed worse off or feeling worse than when I woke up whether it's um if it's work I just have a ton of stuff to do and I don't get through it all and I'm like at the end of the day I'm like oh I'm overwhelmed I have more to do than when I started the day that sucks that's you know that's one version of it the other version of it is like I woke up today with a fresh level of energy and uh, the first thing I, first three things I read were uh, Asian people being attacked for being Asian, uh, Trump uh, targeting people uh, who are, you know, already in a bad spot, whether those are medical professionals, uh, patients, you know, whoever it is. Um, and it's just like bad news. You just have so much bad news thrown at you for however long you happen to be awake during the day. And in most areas of your life, right? Because like we're saying, there aren't those escapes anymore. We can't go to the movie theater and uh and sort of turn our brains off for a couple of hours uh it's just not possible and so you just end up with like the inputs are there's so many negative inputs and there are it's just harder to find those positive um elements in life that used to be you know frankly like really easy to find which is uh you know i guess we kind of take it for granted but like any day you and i could go have one of the best meals we'd ever have if we felt like it uh, or go see a movie in a reclining, comfortable chair uh, with a 40-ounce Slurpee and no one is going to, and nothing stands in our way. And now none of none of the things that we sort of have gotten used to are available. And in fact, many things that we thought we didn't, wouldn't have to deal with um, uh, are now first, are, are right in our faces, right? It's like the government... I have, I'm, I've been very optimistic, I think, in how I've approached or thought of um, the, the Trump administration. It's like, I, you know, for the most part, I've been fairly lucky and it hasn't affected my day-to-day life. And it's, I've always been something I've looked at as out of my control. And so it, uh, it hasn't weighed on me as heavily as I know it has on some others. Um, but now it's, it really is unavoidable. I can't bury my head in the sand and pretend that it's not going to, uh, that it's not hurting people. Um, and, and I don't think I ever really felt that way. I think I just sort of didn't, I just sort of avoided news. 
but that, that also is hard to do now, right? It's like you wake up and it almost feels irresponsible if you don't know what was said today. If you don't know. No one's putting out like, uh, you know, stories like, oh, there's a new restaurant in town. That article doesn't exist anymore. It's literally just coverage of the bad shit that's happening. One of the things that I have told people that I know that's been one of the bigger drains on people's morale is that there's no end line. There's no final date like we're in a prison but there is no sentence yet mm-hmm. it's like we've got one one group saying that we're going to start baseball in may <laughs> and then we've yeah. got the you know our the dr fuji guy saying like i'd be shocked if we played sports in by thanksgiving and then there's other people who's like we n- may not go outside for 18 months it's like okay well damn that's like a different like mentality you can have like if you have like a set point anyone can endure like a tough situation if you know that there's a a finish line the light at the end of the tunnel yeah Yeah, but we don't have that date yet so it's kind of um, and i don't think we actually ever will and and that that uncertainty is hard because like people are going to be a little more aware of like the people that they're around. Like people may not go to Disneyland as often. People may not go to the movie theaters and get crowded with a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, just, like, I do want to have this, this conversation actually, but just real quick to respond. I don't want to lose this thought. The, the one thing I have seen that is promising and, and it's actually, we, we, it's not a secret. We, um, at our company, uh, it's, it's basically, we, this was presented as like, when will we open back up for business and start having our people go back into the office? And it's not a date. And what it is, is I think it's off of a New York times uh, piece. And they said, basically it's when tests are available for anyone who needs them. It's when there have been a, a decrease in cases for a sustained period of time. Um, and it's sort of like those markers where it's like, you're not talking about a date as the projection. You're talking about data as being able to inform whether or not it's safe. And I, and to me that, that is, it's both uh, extremely pragmatic and I like, I like that. Like, okay, it's very clear now that these are the things that we need to be able to reach. These are the goals that we have as a society to reach. Uh, but it's also, like you're saying, it's frustrating because we're not reaching them and we're not doing everything we can to reach them. Um, so that's kind of the, the struggle now is like, how do you prepare for in, in, in sort of indiscriminate amount of time to spend? What I was going to, and I cut you off, but the yeah you're talking about like will people go back yeah i would we we had this exact conversation yesterday it was like when will you go when will you feel like you can go to a baseball game well currently at this state like as long as i see like nurses and doctors not being able to get their equipment until that is fixed i'm not going outside i can't risk like tripping and hurting my ankle and i have to go to the hospital I don't want to go to the hospital. So until that is taken care of, yeah. Once we're able to be tested and we're able to like go back to family functions, knowing that I don't have the virus or yeah, we can generally become a a community again. But like at this point, it's just like, we have to see that graph flatten and go down a little bit. But, so I think that's my other question because I think there's an, uh, there's, there's actually different levels there. Cause you're saying like once we have the testing, which I think is to me, what that tells me is like when we meet those marks, the testing availability, the, um, the, whatever the things we just went through were, 
that's enough for me to leave the house, probably in a mask still. But the idea of going to a sporting event or going to a concert or going to a movie theater or getting on a plane, I think that's another level that needs to be met. And to me, that's, that's widespread vaccination, possibly. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe my, my, I may change my mind. I'm in the middle of it. But if you told me that in two months, we have all the tests we need, cases have dropped, but there's still some cases. Um, you want to go to a, you want to go to a concert? I'd probably say no. And, and I think this is, to me, this is the conversation that people should be having when they start talking about like, Hey, let's just open back up. The economy's hurting right now. Let's just open back up. It's like, no, we, we do that. We're not going out still. If I told you tomorrow the Giants are playing and uh, it's a sold-out game and here's a free ticket to sit in the front row, you're not going to take that. There's no way. There's absolutely no way that the general public, that 90% of the people who are, uh, you know, if it's 90% of the country right now who's in shelter in place, there's a huge percentage of those people who aren't doing it because they're being told to do it. They're doing it because they understand the risks. And those risks don't vanish when you have enough testing. They don't vanish when you have some of these other things. When you're talking about these large gatherings, like a, a conference, uh, a baseball game, um, you know, a movie theater, like it, it just, how can you, I, I know that, that that's kind of where I'm at with it is like, I don't think I'll be doing, I don't think I'll go to a, to a, a, a sporting event until there's a vaccine. I've kind of like, or a movie theater. Like, I think those are just, just off the list. 18 months. Well, I mean, I don't know what kind of crazy scale they're working on, but yeah, that's a year from now. You're not going to go. Yeah. I, well, I mean, one, they're not putting out movies anymore in the theaters uh, because they're not going to make any money, but it is ignorant that the NFL is going to run their draft and think football is going to be the same come August, September. That's a, that's a joke. Cause like, well, just, I mean, you, how do you feel about running this? Players like me, like they are people too. They can still have the virus. They can get sick and kill their kids yeah. when they go back home. It's, you can have empty stadiums all you want, but like it's an, you can have no symptoms and have, the virus still and yeah. so it's not safe to yeah. to be out and, and i think yeah it'll be interesting to see because obviously the leagues have a lot of power um the players want to get paid and i think that's one of the that's that will be the nfl particularly but certainly the other sports too uh they all have this dynamic where the incentives exist for a large amount of the players who are older to have the season because they need this season of income that, and those players also happen to be the most influential in the unions. And so does the league combined with the senior players, guys who are maybe have a year or two left on their careers, is that enough to sway or move uh, the entire league, including the rest of the union into I would say it's playing, the other way around. Taking a shot. I would say the people that have made their coin are perfectly fine sitting out a year. It's the people who, like, a AAA guy is making 30K a year. If you're on the major league roster, you're making 600K a year. So you're missing out that one year as a fringe, like, major leaguer. You, don't want, you can't miss that year. That's, like, yeah. your 
prime money-making year. I see what you're saying, but I think the data supports that the older players in the league are, are actually quite selfish in how they make decisions. Uh, you'll see... Well, they're the, all stupid. <laughs> they haven't completed their schooling. But, they, but they'll do anything to avoid... They, like, they, they, all these bad CBAs that the unions have signed in all these sports um, are directly a result of these players being unwilling to play the game of chicken of, all right, then we're going to go on a lockout. And, and time and time again, the big, the big issues for these players, NFL, perfect example, they keep making the season longer. They keep adding games. And all we hear about between CBA negotiations is how terrible those things are, how much the players hate them. But then when it comes to, well, do you hate them enough to not have a season? They say, well, you know, just give us a few more roster spots and a little less practice and a little less preseason and we'll look the other way on more games, on more brain injuries and no treatment or payments to the retired yeah, But they, they've also been, like, enslaved by the culture. You're not going to say, like, oh, I don't want to play football. I love football. Like, I want to be out there and tackling guys. Like, uh, Yeah, some of it some of it is a culture. But, it, but it's like there's just too many incentives to have the season. There's too many people dependent on it. Because then, then it becomes, okay, so if, if the owners want it, because they don't, they don't care, right? They, I mean, they, they, they care, but, like, when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, you, you can very well see where their incentives are. And it makes it, it, it it's logical, if not morally sound, it's logical. Uh, the older players, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's, I'm sure some, some are thinking the way I'm t- saying they are. Some are thinking the way you're, you're, you're saying they are. Um, others. I, but I think the other factor is all the agents who are telling yeah. the players what to vote for or telling the players what side to support are going to be in their ear over and over saying, it's safe, let's have the season. Yeah, they want their percent. Everyone, get, everyone down the line get me paid. Yeah. needs help. Yeah, like staffers, yeah, people who work at the stadium, everyone that is involved in the scouts, uh, coaches, the, the ones that aren't making millions of dollars, they're like, well, I don't have another employment. Like, jobs aren't available. I don't want to quit this job. I like this job, but I can't go without a paycheck. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're going to be the ones who are going to make yeah. a financial decision and not a, a health decision. I think at some point it is going to come down to that for some of these, um, some of the sports. I don't think all of them do it. And I think what, what may give a little bit of hope is that I think it would really really damage a sport if they came back too early and there was um and there was was cases spreading right it's like that that immediately shut down the nba right it was like the moment someone tested positive it it was obvious they could not continue yeah it was like two hours later and all the games were canceled yeah and so what would you do in no september um you 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 tee up the whole nfl season and then week one someone test positive now now what right it's like you you can't continue well yeah like so you you've got rudy gobert who's the one who's like handling all the mics and then you find out uh donovan mitchell had coronavirus and he was perfectly healthy and they're just all in the same locker room so the one guy who tests positive you know because he's an idiot um led to all the players getting tested and all of them had it and it's like you it's such a uh, of course they're all getting on planes every three days right it's like I, I i mean i feel like i probably had it 
I flew, I have, it's, <laughs> it's April. By the end of February, I think I had flown something like 20,000 miles this year. And it's, it, it almost seemed like it was impossible to not have it when you realize how quickly it was spreading and how much well, it's not like a yes, it's not like a scarlet letter. You can't tell if you had it unless you were getting tested. Yeah, so and I was and I was sick at least a couple times this yeah, year already. Yeah. And it was like you know, in January when we were sick, um, it was like, oh well, it's probably just the flu, and it's you know, this is my fourth cross country flight in five weeks or whatever. It's like oh, it's natural that I'm going to be under the weather. Uh, but then when you hear you know just a few weeks later, it's like, hey, there's this actually very severe thing going around. It almost makes you think like, oh. Was that what it was? Have I gotten it and not had symptoms? Am I carrying it? And so when we talked about, you know, when we talked about like shutting down at work, it was very much about like, okay, well, we are, you know, our company, we travel a lot and we're in, we go to conferences and we do things that we live in cities and there's a lot of people around. And, uh, and many of us have older people in our lives. At the time, that was the conversation, right? It was like, well, you know, if you're in your 30s, 20s, you're, you're gonna be fine, but you may give it to someone older and they may get sick. And so that was the conversation to start. It was like, well, you know, we all have people in our lives that we wanna protect, so we'll just do the responsible thing. Now we're finding out that actually, you know, you, you may get it as a teenager or, or a kid or in your 20s or 30s or 40s, and your life is on the line as well. Because even if you would have survived, I mean, I know you know this, but like, even if you would survive normally, well, if the doctor who would have treated you to help you survive isn't available and the bed that you would have needed to stay in isn't available and the ventilator that you would have needed to keep breathing isn't available, well, now you're in your you're life's on the line and you may get uh, some other infection uh, being in, uh, you know, in a weakened state that, that could also hurt you. Well, before all the shelter in place stuff actually went down, you know, you'd, you'd have people saying like, oh, I probably have it, but I'm too young. I don't have a fever yet and they won't give me the test. And does that, you know, random anecdotal person go out to the club and go to the bars and it probably did and probably made it worse. And it's because the testing didn't exist when people who weren't had showed symptoms, they weren't able to get it. And so like the precaution to stay in place wasn't there yet either. So um, yeah, I mean, like the you know we talk, it's it's easy to point fingers, and even at the time it was easy to point fingers at Rudy Gobert and say, "Hey, what an idiot! He's touching all the mics." Um, but you got to give the guy benefit of the doubt. He's a you know younger guy, and the people who are supposed to be giving you the true information were not right. Is like he was. It, it would be totally reasonable to expect that a basketball player who's not paying very close attention to politics hears that the president says it's going to go to zero and thinks eh, it's no big deal and can act accord. And, and, you know, he sort of behaved in a cavalier way for that moment. Um, and, you know, it obviously took a lot of heat for it, but at the same time, it's like, it, it's kind of, I don't know if you saw that clip of the soccer um, or football manager. Uh, they asked him, Hey, what do you think about the coronavirus? And he goes, I think you need to stop asking people like soccer coaches about the coronavirus. Like you shouldn't be looking to basketball players or actors or uh, you know celebrities to give you advice about your health and about the health of the society. That's what Dr. Fauci and doctors and scientists and immunologists, like all these people, that's what they're for. And so why are we looking, even, or politicians, why are we looking to these people and taking what they have 
and putting you know their word uh, you know at the top of the list when there are people who are actually trained to do this. Um, yeah, but science is saying otherwise. Facts are debatable. Sure. Yeah. I mean that that is that is it, right? Is the element now of the, the internet? Anyone can publish anything, and it sort of looks credible, and then it just becomes a, a contest of who can produce the more sensational headline. Um, the president so, keeps saying hydro. Uh, whatever the hell that is, uh, chlorine, I can't, whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's promise. It's like, where? Show me some kind of graph that looks semi made by someone above sixth grade. I'll give it I, a little uh, thought. But, I mean, it, it's like, oh, uh, there's this town up in Buffalo and they've been giving it to their patients all week and they don't have it. It's like, if, if the way he's presenting it isn't enough of a warning label, at some point, it's like, hey, you've got to take some accountability in your own life. If you're going to take a drug because a game show host who has gone bankrupt seven times sure, is, is, is actually not even telling you that it's like for sure going to solve you. In fact, he's saying things like, <laughs> he's saying things like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to do anything for you, but you should try it. Why not? Like, yeah, give it a shot. Like, if your doctor told you, give it a shot, why not? What do you have to lose? You wouldn't do it. Well, this is um, like, yeah, that's, it's like, if you look back at like previous like attempts at solving medical problems, they were all like unstudied. It's like people were like trying to cure stuff with like arsenic and like rat poison and like. Oh, I mean, lobotomies were lobotomy, a thing. People yeah, used like, to bleed people. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like. We'll try everything wrong before we figure out what works. Yeah, and at this point, we've we've we're we're in an acceptable like jump past like several fences to try and get to the solution because it's gone so wrong. But yeah, just like totally not listening to the only community that can possibly get the answers, and just making up your own statements is so American. It's <laughs> yeah it's like the idea that you would i mean it, these arguments fall apart so quickly i don't even really want to spend much more time on them no, yeah, we're, like, we're talking we're talking yeah. to a wall <laughs> like let's just open back up for business the economy's hurting like that, that's not why the economy's hurting it's not no. because we told no, people yeah, to close like, up it's because yeah. people are dying left and right because it's, we don't have really, a, your your point about sports or movies that it's like I'm not going to go to a restaurant and sit and sit around people like 20 people within like 10 feet of me. Like I'll still get takeout. I still trust that or you know, blindly trust that the chefs are washing their hands or whatever, but I'm not going to go sit around with people who probably don't blow their nose and don't cough into their elbows. And this is not I, really I went to Costco today and every time I saw someone who didn't have a mask on, I was like, stay away from me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not going, I love Costco and I'm not going there on a regular basis. I'm going there because I have to, right? And it's like, I'm not going to be going out to spend money at a restaurant or a store, like you're saying, uh, voluntarily until this is all safe. And certainly the idea of like a large gathering, like a, a sporting event or something is like, yeah, whoa, yeah, like yeah. I need way more assurances than, uh, <laughs> than like, hey, uh, it's fine. <laughs> what do you got to lose? Like that, that doesn't fly for me. Yeah. No way you're getting in a plane. That, that is the, that's the one thing that is not going to happen. And like, 
uh, sales of cruises have gone up. And it's kind of like, why would you... The It's not like going to be more expensive, like, in a couple months. Like, it's not cheap. The prices haven't gone down, so you're not even getting a deal. So, like, what is the rush? Like, I can't imagine people, getting... Like, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've heard my cruise rants before, but, like, the idea... Forget it. Even if you say, I'm okay with the environmental impact, I'm okay with the threat to my personal safety, I'm okay with potentially getting the disease and being stuck on a ship for weeks with people who have the disease. The last part is like, well, what if you just get stuck? Like think about all these people who now have been on these, these ships for weeks and weeks where no one will accept them. That that's, that's not acceptable. Like I, I, those, yeah. those little, uh, uh, you know, those little port side window, <laughs> little windows, uh, and tiny rooms on the ship don't look so good after week three or four or shoot probably not after week well to me not even after a day or two but yeah. that the idea i mean even i was reading this article about this couple who on their honeymoon um they've actually gotten stuck in the in the maldives maldives i don't know how to say it um some you know very nice island resort and they're from south africa and overnight they just the south africa and maldives and whoever else is like no more transportation, like no more flights. So these people have been now stuck at this resort for four weeks or five weeks, um, you know, paying a subsidized rate because they, you know, they, they're getting a help, the, the resort feels bad, uh, but they're actually the last guests at the resort. Everyone else has gone home, but their only way back to South Africa was to charter a plane for $100,000 uh, and split it with like 15 or 20 other South Africans who had been stranded in other places. And they said, well, we can't afford that. And so they said, well, then you, you, you guys, you, then you can't come back. Like, there's no way for you to leave. So they said, all right, you guys stay here. And, and then the resort, the policy in the Maldives is that um, uh, resort or hotel workers cannot leave until all the guests have left because they have to go into a quarantine as soon as your last guest leaves. And so this whole resort has all of its staff basically catering to this couple every single day, every five minutes, they check in on them, they bring them food, they're, you know, they're performing for them. And it's, it's just a, a situation where it's like probably what you thought was going to be the most like paradise vacation of your life. You're trapped in it now. And, yeah, and, a... and it's like, that's no longer good. That's, that's not good. You don't want to be trapped on vacation uh, on a ship yeah. on an Island anywhere. You want to, have access to your home and your family and yeah there's a, a league streamer um midbeast him and uh tf blade went to korea like a couple months ago and tf blade got banned in korea like two days before like uh the u.s like shut off our borders and so he was able to come back and midbeast is an australian guy He's been stuck there playing solo queue, like hard stuck diamond. Like, you know, they all went there, oh, I'm going to be rank one Korea. And so he's just been stuck, like, in this, you know, he has nothing better to do. He can't really go outside. He's, like, an outsider. He doesn't speak Korean. Yeah. And he's stuck playing solo queue every day. He's probably was going to do that at home anyway, but, like, you're away from your home. You have no no other people you know you're talking to. and. Yeah, that's just at least like, he's in a, at least he's in a, a country that has handled this well. Right. Yeah, he's not he's not in a place that he's afraid he's gonna get and die. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's just like these little small stories that yeah, like going out going away from your home and 
to a distance where you can't walk home is not safe at this and that's the thing right is like even if we we see we check all these boxes it still seems like it's pretty likely that it will come back again until we have a vaccine like we aren't rid of this and so it could very well be that in three four or five months hey we're gonna go on a trip we're gonna fly fly across the country everything's safe now and then two days later you find out oh you know what there's been another there's been another incident it's it's uh it's spreading again and uh and you're stuck here (laughs) you're stuck on this ship or whatever it is and uh that to me is like well the incremental value or benefit that I would have of going on a vacation like that, which by the way, I'm not even sure that that exists in a world where we don't have a vaccine because how much are you going to enjoy going somewhere thinking always just thinking like, am I now in a place where I'm at risk or am I now in a place where I'm putting someone else at risk? Am I in a place I might get stuck? Like all these things that we didn't used to think about when we were traveling, they're going to be top of mind until a vaccine comes out. And as a result, I, I don't, yeah, I don't see myself getting on, a plane to fly somewhere and i love traveling i fly on a plane more than once probably i average at least twice two to three flights a month in a, in in the old world um and uh but now it's like you just think of yeah you think of sort of the the downsides are so extreme that the upsides the, you know the benefits just they don't outweigh the risks um, yet. Yeah, and, and hopefully they will you know shortly but it, it doesn't seem like the light is here anytime soon get out of here it's not the worst thing. We still have TV, still have Netflix. Our water is still running. You can still poo, maybe not wipe your butt with toilet paper, but you have a flushing toilet. Um, you can still take out. There's, it's not the worst thing that happens if we're not able to go watch football in six months. Yeah. We still have a much higher standard of living than most humans who've ever lived. Yeah. even being stuck in our homes, uh, maybe okay. psychologically. The, and, and, but but uh, that's in no way to diminish the psychological impact of having your life turn for the worst. And I think almost across the board, that's happened to everyone, right? Um, it's going to be interesting because, yeah, I, you, probably your work was more suited to work from home or was more liberal with allowing you to do it. Whereas my company is 100 years old, very rigid and like you show up now and you leave now and you get an hour for lunch and shit like that. Someone expects you to be in your office at this point in this time. Now everyone's working from home and I feel like production is up. And almost certainly the company is like not paying the, you know, water bill, the internet bill, the lighting bill. They're fucking loving this shit. We're subsidizing. Yeah, I'm using my own internet, my own lighting and everything. And companies are going to figure out like, yeah, no one needs to be going into work for like the long, the majority of everyone down in, yeah, Embarcadero has 7% of ridership of, you know, a regular month uh, of 2019. That's because everyone down there never actually had to go to work. Everything that they had to do pretty much down there could have been done over a phone or online. And uh, that's going to change for sure. Yeah. All these high rise Salesforce buildings, no one needed to be in there. You can do all your you know, data collecting from your house and you can run a conference. We can have a podcast from, from our couches. So, yeah. I mean, I think there will be a snapback. I don't think it's like, Oh, this is just, you know, I don't think if there's, <laughs> No, yeah. I don't think we're keeping 90% even or 50% even of all the changes that we've made. But I would, 
I, I, there's no way around it. There's going to be significant change in how people think about their lives. Um, I seeing a lot of talk about we're never going to shake hands again. And that seems weird because it seems like such a fundamental thing in our society, but it does, it's not right. It's an arbitrary thing that we've all agreed is something that we should do. And in, in yeah, with this cool. sort of knowledge now, and it's not just coronavirus, right? It's like, I saw like Fauci said, like, if we just stop shaking hands, like people will stop dying from the flu in such high numbers as well. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, why not, why not stop, you know, make some changes, hopefully more changes at a, you know, at a well, just like the, government level too, but the amount of like, coverage about washing your hands is like kind of gross to think about it retrospectively it's like how many people were not we're washing, not washing yeah. like what the fuck is going I, on i think i think a lot i mean i don't know about you but like been in plenty of men's restrooms and seen yeah. plenty of guys walk out without even walking by the sink so. yeah you're taking a shit and you hear someone go to the urinal and then doesn't go to the fountains like i'm glad i didn't see that guy's face because i would have lost and all respect for them it's like such oh a, i've had that i've definitely had that uh eye contact after i watch you not wash your hands and, <laughs> and walk to the door and i just it's like wow it, that is uh yeah yeah it's like uh i don't i don't enjoy when i'm judgmental but that is something that every time pre-coronavirus i was judgmental about and certainly going forward if i see someone not washing their hands man i don't know what uh <laughs> yeah it's, it's what like my reaction would be yeah, it's like if someone like pulled out a cigarette and started smoking in front of you, you're like, oh, like I just lost a little bit of respect for you. And it's like, like yeah, you don't wash your hands. Like you might as well cough in my face. Yeah, yeah you're a fucking monkey. Like you shake hands with poo in your hand. Or like, <laughs> like, like uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of this is an awful lot of like sanitation stuff that just is. You have to like absentmindedly think about it because like if you were if you were a germaphobe you probably were on edge already, but. Now you're the more prepared people. You're the ones, you look smart. I was telling you guys, <laughs> wash your hands, use yeah. hand sanitizer. Yeah, I, yeah it, uh, it's, <laughs> it's definitely gonna change a, a number of things. I hope, you know, we talked about it on the Never To Be Published podcast, uh, focus on the coronavirus, but like, I, I think there are a lot of positive outcomes that can come out of this from a societal perspective I, you know people who die and people who I get sick are never going to get those people back and, and i think that is awful um and so i'm really just you know setting that aside looking at what are the potential positive outcomes you know we talked about public health i think that has to change i mean it's been a part of the conversation already since sanders ran in 2016 but the idea of fixing our health care this if this doesn't get us to fix health care in this country i, I I don't know what, I mean, you, you've talked about how when you retire, if we haven't fixed healthcare, you're out of here. Um, if now that we've had a pandemic and that it has basically shown the brightest possible spotlight on all the flaws within our system, if this isn't enough for us to make a change, I don't know what it would take. Yeah, well, it, it is for the people at home, probably won't happen. Um, one of the other things that I think will change, especially because people have been, we were able to migrate, we're able to go all over the place, but like a lot of the things that we do aren't always so, uh, enlightening or so great. Like 
people, the second they were told they couldn't go outside, everyone was at the park, like walking around and hiking and, you know, now people are like gardening and like fixing their backyards and like, oh, I enjoy this. Like, why wasn't I doing this before? I was going to the movies or going to the club. It's like, yeah, maybe I'll be doing that more often than the stuff that I used to cherish or, you know, do more often. The FOMO stuff, it uh, feels a little more frivolous when there's a cost. Um, and the cost is like actually the things that you started to take for granted that are truly fundamentally important to you as a person, as a human, like your family, your friends, yeah, your fuck home. Yeah, I'm definitely, I, you know, my parents, I've lived in San Francisco with my parents and lived, you know, less than whatever the city limits away from each other and we don't communicate enough and because of the jail like feeling the need for social interaction has increased so that has increased the volume of how many times I've interacted with my family but yeah I'll definitely probably hang out with them more often than I had before it's not something we're gonna forget anytime soon although the president would suggest otherwise i don't know if you saw his quote we should all just forget about it except for the people who've lost family members so forget about it and the economy is gonna boom small portion west the rest of us are fine just go back out there all right buddy let's uh let's wrap it there good cast yeah all right man have a good night have a good night see you